You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete So He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I got to tell you, folks, I've missed you. We have had far too much time off. I have really, really missed this show I've missed talking to you. I've missed interacting with you. And I want to tell you one thing. From 2020 to 2021, the goal remains the same thing. Nobody's goal has changed. I know it was a very rough year last year. And it could be another rough year this year. But for the Oakland Athletics, the goal has not changed. The goal is to win the World Series. And we're going to treat 2021 the same way we treated 2020. This team is looking for a world championship. And the more you read about the state of baseball, the more we investigate the world of Major League Baseball, there are a lot of teams out there that are not all in. There are a lot of teams out there that they're looking for the future. They're not looking for the now. And that's fine with me. You see that all through sports. But you have a team, the goal in mind, when you ask Billy Bean, when you ask David Force, when you ask Bob Melvin, when you talk to the players, they still believe. Whoever is going to be on this roster, they know that they're going to compete to go to the postseason and try and win a championship. That's what 2021 is all about. If these other teams want to look at 2024 and 2025 and they want to rebuild, retool, re-this, re-that, that's fine with me. The A's are looking to win. And that's why we're going to cover this team like nobody else. What do we say, Cody? Happy New Year. We cover this team like a Snuggie. We are all over it, and we'll be all over it in 2021. Happy New Year, Cody. How are you? Happy New Year to you too, Tony. And it's uh, it's weird because, you know, looking back to the New Year last year, look, we're coming off of a wild card game that we were at in person. That's the last baseball game we went to. Uh, sporting event probably we've been to. Uh, well, you've been probably into the Raider game. That's the last sporting event I went to uh, baseball-wise. I went to a couple hockey games, but – it's just crazy, like, looking forward to this year. Like, there's so much optimism coming into January now, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping that we have a full season and we can see the A's once again win the AL West, even though everyone, for some reason, still thinks the Astros are going to be the best team in the division without Brantley, without Springer, without Verlander, without 
Uh, Ozuna. Ozuna. Yeah. Reddick. Reddick will be gone. He's a starting outfielder for them. So I'm looking forward to this year. There's there's still so much unknown with the free agency. So, I mean, we got a lot to look forward to and a lot to talk about come up until the start of spring training in the season. You know, it was so funny when we were ending the show uh, in, in 2020, those last couple shows, and people would bring on people in baseball – they need they need the juice of the winter meetings. They need the big signings and like it's like well we we do a baseball show. So for us, if you're telling me we're going to have some signings in January and we're going to have some signings in February, I'm all for that. I don't need everything to happen in December and then everybody goes away and says, "Hey, can't wait for spring training." Like for us being selfish, the longer this plays out, the more we have to talk about. So I'm all for that. And you've got a ton of big names still out there on the board. You've got a ton of names that are not big names that can really help your ball club that are still on the board. Like if we had a big free agency board, there'd be a boatload of play. There's a lot of guys still to be signed. And the reason why is, A, I thought Jeff, by the way, I thought Jeff Passan of ESPN, the piece he did over, over the holidays, on the state of baseball, where baseball is, I thought was by far the best that I've seen. You know, truly breaking it down, owners, players union, who's trying to win, who's not, free agency, just the state of, you know, how many games are going to be played. That's still, that's a moving goalpost right there. We don't know. You know, the players won 162. And according to Jeff Passan, the players have said, hey, we played we played through the pandemic. While the owners now are saying, hey, well, wait a minute. We're not sure how many games we're going to play. And we are concerned about health. And we are concerned about the coronavirus. You know, different states. You know, whether you're talking like the difference between Arizona and California. I mean, look what happened in football. You're watching the San Francisco slash Arizona 49ers. My San Jose State Spartans had to play in Las Vegas. They actually came back to San Jose and Dr. Cody, who runs the health for Santa Clara County, tried to keep San Jose State from going to play in their bowl game. Now, you look at that and you go, well, wait a minute. You got the Padres, you got the Angels, you got the Dodgers, you got the Giants, you got the A's. You got five teams in California. And California is being run completely different than it is in other states. So there is a lot going on right now with the baseball season. When's spring training going to start? How many games? So we're going to have a lot to cover in the next few months leading up to baseball. The one thing we do know there's going to be baseball. That's the good news, first and foremost. As we're watching the NFL, we watch, I mean, you watched all these bowl games. NBA, at some point, when's hockey starting up here pretty soon? I think it's uh, next week hockey starts. Yeah, so it, there's no, hey, you can't play, everybody's playing. So we're going to have a baseball season, and that's what's exciting. And once again, eye on the prize, the prize is the World Series. I mean, right now, if you look at it, you can pretty much, and I know we did this in the last show, but you can pretty much look around and go, there's around 10 teams that are going to try. 
There's around 10 teams that are saying, we're in it, we're playing for it. And the A's are one of them. No matter what happens at shortstop and second base, the A's are going to be in it. They have the lineup, they have the starters, they have a deep bullpen, whoever's closing. But they're, they're going to be in it. They're going to be one of the teams. This is going to be an exciting season once again. And boy, are we starting off with a great lineup. Eno Saris from The Athletic is going to join us at 1.30. Mark Sweeney from San Diego. Remember him, former player, pretty good stick. Mark Sweeney uh, covers the Padres. He's on their broadcast, Fox Sports San Diego and FS1 MLB analyst. Mike Farron from MLB Radio on Sirius XM and also works for the Diamondbacks will be here at 2.30. And then the farewell for Susan Slusser at 3 o'clock as Susan is going to be leaving the A's beat and going on to the Giants beat. And we all need to support her for everything that she's done for the Oakland Athletics over the years and what she's done for me personally and what she's done for the ball club, what she's done for the organization, and what she's done for the fan base. At some point, you get an opportunity. And change can be good. So we'll get our farewell with Susan Slusser at 3 o'clock. It's not like she's never coming back on the program, for God's sakes. The A's will play the Giants, and when there's... I mean, Susan, to me, is someone that we can talk anything. We can talk... A's baseball. You can now talk Giants baseball with her. We can talk national with her. So she's not going away. She said, we're just not going to see her every day. And that's going to be sad because she's, you know, she's one of the faces you look forward to every single day at the ballpark. And unfortunately, we're just not going to see her every single day. But she's just going to be across the bay. But she'll have her farewell today at 3 o'clock. And as you know, Cody, you and I, you know, same thing as we left 95-7 the game. There's sometimes you need to make a change in your career. You've done something long enough. You need a new challenge. You need something to, 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 to re-spark your career. So we know exactly how that works, and we're really happy for her. Yeah, and I'm glad that, you know, she's just going to cover the Giants. It's not like she's leaving to go cover, the, like, the Red Sox, like Julie McWilliams did, or, you know, like taking – it's a bigger job, of course, but you're going all the way across the country where Susan's going across the Bay Bridge. So it's completely different, and I'm very happy for her. I reached out to her when it first happened, and she got back to me. And you know, and I'm very I mean, for everything she's done for me as a as a producer and a guest booker uh, over the years. Building that relation with her has always been great. And uh, the Giants are getting a, are getting a very good writer. She's probably the best baseball writer in the Bay Area um, when it comes to just knowing the team. And they're gonna they're in good hands with her. Sorry to my sorry to our good friend Kerry Crowley, but he's now number two best friend on the show from the Giants beat writers. <laughs> uh, and you know well, the Giants are. When I said there's around ten teams trying, they're not really one of them. And the Giants are are a team that uh, finally are going to have to swallow these bad contracts that were given out. And and I and I and I hope A's fans and and I know you hate this, and really for all baseball fans, the worst thing that you can do in professional sports is get old and expensive. Now you love having the name on the back of the jerseys. I mean, how many times have we heard that where you're like, I can't buy a jersey because the guy's not going to be here. 
well, do you want to be able to have a jersey? Or do you want to stay competitive and win? I mean, that's that that becomes, you know, the reality. You get old and you get expensive, you're not going to win. And we've seen that now over time. We'll stay away from the Giants example. How about the Yankees example? When all of a sudden you looked out and A-Rod's old. Jeter's old. Teixeira's old. Posada's old. Like, they got old. And Brian Cashman realized it. And Brian Cashman went, uh-oh. Kind of go, kind of, kind of reset. To where now you look at the Yankees. Cody, you're not going to view the Yankees as an old ball club now. No, and you look at that team, the oldest guy you think of is what? John, John Carlos. John Carlos right? Stanton or Brett Gardner. If he, I can't remember if he's a free agent or not, but Gardner. Like, those are the two oldest guys I can think of. Well, he's old, but yeah, but he's been productive. But, you know, th- you're going to see the last year of Crawford, Belt, and probably Posey. And when their contracts come off the books, I mean, they're going to only have like 28, was it 28 million or something like that on the books? Yeah, because remember, they're not, Yaz isn't really making anything yet. Uh, no. Plus, he's also 30, so how big of a contract is he really going to get going forward? They got Alex Dickerson, doesn't make a lot of money. Donovan Solano doesn't make any money. Uh, Joey Bart's still on his rookie deal, so he doesn't make any money. Uh, you got Evan Longoria, essentially. He's the only guy that makes any uh, high amount of money because Samarge is a free agent after this year, too, I believe. And that'll be something I'll ask Eno Saris as, you know, he's he's dialed in for both the A's and the Giants. Farhan Zaidi can say he's got money, but in the past, you know what the problem's been? Can't find anybody to take it. You have not been able to find, I mean, you, you brought in Hunter Pence, But that was a trade, and then you signed him. But you haven't seen any free agent go, "Oh yeah, I want to come to, I want to hit in that ballpark on a daily basis." So you can say you have all this money. What premier players? I mean, you probably can get a pitcher, but what premier players are you going to get from a standpoint of a position player to take that money? We haven't seen that yet. But that's something that I've always appreciated about the A's. You're never stuck with this bad contract. Like the worst contract in, in recent years you got stuck with, and it was a bad one, but it's one you can survive, was Billy Butler. You can survive a contract like that. But when you start giving out 80, 100, 120, 200, I mean... They, they become disastrous, and I'm glad the A's don't do that, even though I know you want to have that name on the back of the jersey that you know is going to be there for five, six years guaranteed. i rather win. That's why I always had that joke about putting Velcro on the back of a jersey. Take your favorite name, or I just should, take your favorite number, buy that jersey, and you can have the nameplate in the back and have it on Velcro. And when the guy leaves, you take that off and you put another guy's name on the back. That's actually pretty good. Because, you know, the one. I think it's genius. I think, it's, I, you know, get your favorite jersey, whether whatever you want to be, whether you want to be home, road, alternate. My favorite always is the gold jersey. 
Velker on the back can put the name on the back of the player that's there that's your favorite player. The, and when, Don, when Donaldson leaves, whoosh, rip that off, put Chapman on. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a great – it's it's really – it's clever because the one that everyone always talks about is the uh, the old player-to-be-named later jersey that people always, I see, wearing around. No matter where it is, it's not just in Oakland. I've seen it in Pittsburgh a lot too. Uh, well, then again, in Pittsburgh, people wore paper bags over their heads because that's about the Pirates were. So, um, but, yeah, the Velcro thing is great. I think that's a great idea because then you won't have that um, – that feeling of like you lost your favorite player when they get traded. Like I saw people posting pictures of uh, Josh Bell when his when he got traded from the Pirates. There's little kids who got his jersey for Christmas. They're holding the jersey and he got traded. So like stuff like that. It's just it av- it avoids stuff like that happening. So I like that idea a lot actually. I don't know how many players now and years from now that you are gonna see stay with one organization for their entire career. Mike Trout, I think for sure. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, who else would you say? I Mike Trout will retire an angel. Mike Trout will play his entire career. He, he, here's the deal, and this is what's the tricky part that I don't think fans think about is that when you're a star player in a town and you get older and you're not worth the same money anymore, a player never wants to take less money in the town where he's a star. But he'll take less money somewhere else to continue his career, a la Frank Thomas is a great example. Now, Frank had the bad feet going in Chicago, but Frank wasn't going to be at a discount in Chicago. But he'd be at a discount in Oakland, he'll be a discount in Toronto, and be a discount coming back to Oakland. It's it's some weird deal that where you become the player that's the great player, you as you get older, you keep that attitude, you keep that ego, and you're like, what I'm worth to this organization, what I've done for this organization – I'm now I'm now not going to play for five million. I've been making X. I'm not going to play for Y. And when you part ways, you want to keep playing. Oh well, I, you know I'll go to Seattle and play for eight million because I want to keep playing. So weird, and that's why you don't see guys play their entire career with one team. It's very very rare. As much as you want to think of like Cal Ripken and Tony Gwynn and Kirby Puckett and these kind of guys, I mean, look at the amount of teams. Ricky Henderson is arguing, he's in the conversation as one of the greatest players of all time. Think about the greatest players of all time of recent year. You can't go way back because the owners had your rights, but Willie Mays didn't play for the same team his whole career. Uh, Henry Aaron didn't play for the same team his entire career. Barry Bonds didn't. Ricky Henderson didn't. I mean, it's very rare you get a George Brett or a Mike Schmidt or one of these. I mean, it's very rare. That's what I'm thinking. If I had to make a bet, one guy stays in one place his entire career, I'm betting Trout. You got you got lucky because Alex Gordon just retired this year from the the Royals, and he was with this team that he built them this entire career, and, like, 
The only guys I could think of prior to that were Joe Maurer, who spent his entire career with the Twins, and yeah. David Wright, who spent his entire career with the Mets. And like, I'm not going to say Jeter and, and Rivera and all those guys because like they, you know, those guys were the core four for the Yankees. But then you look at a team, a player like David Ortiz. Everyone goes, "Yeah, he was a Red." No, he wasn't a Red Sox for life. He played for the Twins oh. before that. Like, the, I mean, Jim Tomey. Yeah. Look at the different teams Jim Tomey played for. He's a Hall of Famer. He hit over 600 home runs. Yeah, Ricky Henderson played for nine different teams. <laughs> nine. All right, so he played for the A's. Played for the Yankees. He played for the Padres. Played for the Dodgers. Played for the Red Sox. Played for the Mets. Played for the Mariners. So that's what, seven? Seven, yeah. You're missing two. AL, missing two. two AL teams, AL West and AL, AL East. He was an angel. That's correct. I'm, so I'm missing one. Yep, AL, AL East. Wasn't a Ray. I'll give you. The oh, answer. he played for the Blue Jays. Yeah, the Blue Jays. Yep. Nine different teams, Ricky Hendrick. Can you imagine that? Now, now, when you look back, I mean, just think about that. You look back at his career, and you look at his numbers. How the hell did he play for nine different? Sandy Alderson. I know we reference the winter meetings a lot. But I'm telling you, when we were in San Diego, we learned so much about the game. Wouldn't you admit, Cody, like we learned a tremendous amount about baseball? Oh, absolutely. Just the people we got to see and hear some of the stories. It was incredible. Sandy Alderson, folks, if you don't remember the interview, they were not all in on reacquiring Ricky Henderson from the Yankees. This blew my mind. You remember that? Yeah, there was two things he said in that interview that blew my mind. That was one of them. The other one was about the – You you should have seen Cody and I. Our jaws drop like, what? Sandy Alderson said they had to have a meeting, and they all had to kind of vote on whether to bring Ricky back or not. Now, you go look at his stats, and you say no-brainer. But I never covered Ricky. I never realized how much baggage Ricky brought with him. So the A's, as a staff, had to decide, is it worth it to bring him to this already great team? Now, obviously, history tells us yes. They would win the World Series. He'd end up the next year winning an MVP. But there's a reason why Ricky played on nine different teams and had the numbers he did. Because if you just looked at his numbers, you'd say, man, that guy should be like Al Kaline. He should be Mr. A and should have never left. I mean, think the New York Yankees traded him. And he was a star. That never. When do the Yankees trade a star? Uh, it doesn't happen often. And the story of how, remember how Sandy told us how he did that trade? Because he was still new in the industry. So he did the, ba- the Baseball America. Um, he found the players through Baseball America and the prospect guide or whatever. <laughs> but you're right. Like the Yankees don't trade. They don't trade any stars. I mean, they let they sign the big name guys. They they don't let them go. That's why Lemayhew is such an interesting case, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, like if he would have played for one team, he'd be known as Mister A. Like I think the only other guy that might we can say might play his entire career for one team other than Trout right now is if Buster Posey retires after next year. If he just says I'm done, and yeah. he, he he's the only I, I, one I, that's like questionable. I, I, 
I don't see Buster Posey playing for another team. I think Buster Posey's contracts ends, uh, and then he becomes part of the front office. It's a probably smart idea because you want him as like an ambassador for the the kind of bridge the fan base. I mean, think about this. The guy guy hasn't played in over a year, and the last time we saw him, he can't hit anymore. And I'm, I'm not and, and being the A's guy, I'm not trying. I'm not taking shots. I, I I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I mean, I'm just going to go to the numbers. And the last time we saw him, he hit 257 with a 688 OPS. I mean that's just a that's that that that's a that's not a good player. Seven home runs, thirty eight RBIs. Uh, he got outplayed by Stephen Vote that year, and Vote played on a part time basis for the Giants. Yeah, his his OPS plus is under a hundred. That means he's you can bring up a guy from the minor leagues, and we'll give you the same numbers. And that was in two thousand nineteen. He didn't play in twenty twenty. He's now going to be thirty four years old. When is his birthday? It's a good uh it might be during the season to be honest. His birthday's March, yeah, he'll be he'll be thirty he'll be thirty four in March. He's gonna be thirty four in March, hasn't played in a year. I mean, are you serious? I mean, this whole like Hall of Fame talk, I, I think there's gonna be a whole Yeah, next year he's got an option for twenty two million. It's gonna be a three million dollar buyout. He'll probably retire, and that's it. Yeah, so he might be, he might be one of the last guys you see play for one team. Yeah, I, I would say him and him and uh, old Michael Trout down there in Anaheim might be the only guys that are around baseball anymore. That, I mean, I, I think Brand, I think Brandon Brandon Belt and Crawford probably play for another team. I mean, think. I mean, you would have thought. You know, the guy who you would have thought would have been Mookie Betts. Yeah, that's a, that's, and that. That uh, lasted uh, all five minutes when Heim came over and took over the, the Red Sox. The Boston Rays. I mean, yeah, that's something we're going to talk to Eno Saris about next. Is like, you've got, you've got the Cubs looking to unload. You got the Red Sox in rebuild mode. Giants in rebuild. You're talking big market teams with a lot of money. Red Sox, Cubs, Giants all have money, and they're all in rebuild, retool. What do you want to call it? Whatever you something re. They're in re whatever. I mean, you got big market teams that are just saying we're looking to the future. Now, I don't hate it. I mean, you're telling me the Red Sox don't want to try and win? That's fine with me. Are the Phillies starting to go into kind of a retool mood? I mean, you're talking big league sluggers that got a lot of deep pockets that are not playing deep pocket games. I mean, you really get down to a handful of teams. And, by the way, we got to ask them. Uh, all of a sudden, my brother's Padres, everybody thinks they're like the best team in baseball now. Slow down. Slow down. Slam Diego. I saw, yeah, I saw the power, that power, the new power, the 2021 power rankings, they were two already. I don't know. Let's ask Eno. Eno Saris from The Athletic will join us next right here on A's Cast Live, and God, it's great to be back. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. You know, Saris from The Athletic will make his 2021 
debut here today on A's Cast Live. Are we calling him, Commander? Uh, good news. All of our guests today are going to be calling us. Uh, Mike Farron will be calling us via video like he normally does, so he'll be coming to us um, on full screen here in an hour. But, yeah, Eno's going to be calling us. That would, you know, be interesting look from uh, Mike Farron from the Valley of the Sun as someone who does national MLB radio for Sirius XM, which is an, uh, uh, an unreal channel, channel 89 for me on XM in my car and uh, on the app. But he's also a broadcaster. He's like me for the D-backs. I'm very curious to see how he now views his own division. Because, you know, we know our division better than we know the other divisions. We know our team better than we know other teams. It's just a reality. Like, if, if it was like, hey, let's break down the NL Central, you know, I really don't care about Cody's Pittsburgh Pirates. Nor am I, you know, paying attention to every move made by the Milwaukee Brewers. But he, he, uh, Mike is, you know, what he does in the NL West. I'm curious to see where he is with the Dodgers and where he is with the Padres. Padres have acquired, you know, you Darvish was a Blake Snell. I mean, these are these are power moves. Lamette is a super talent. I mean, the Padres got pitching now. They got depth. They've got starting pitching. Is it enough, though, to take down the Dodgers, who have won the division, was it now eight straight years? And now they have a World Series title. They're on a Braves-like run. Now, they hope to win more World Series than the Braves did. They only won one, but they did win the division 14 straight years, which is still truly one of the great runs we've ever seen in baseball. I mean, 14 straight years winning your division, that's just, that's that's unreal. And Eno Saris joins us now from The Athletic. Eno, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you, too. I'm, I'm doing great. Had uh, just a bunch of food and beer over the break. That's that's all I did, food and beer. Yeah, I you know, I got to, I, I really need to, I, I need to figure it out. I, I, I ate a lot, drank a lot, and somehow I, I need to break that streak. I need to get into a I get. Let's just say I need to get into a new routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seeing people would help. Uh, I've been <laughs> running this year. Last year was the first time I ran. I ran 500 miles. But it was the first time I'd ever run regularly. So that's uh, that's a good way to keep the to keep the belly a little bit. Flatter. All right. <laughs> we'll get into beer, no question, but a couple things, uh, state of the game. Number one, I think for all fans is they want to know when are we going to play and how many games? And this thing is all over the map. What you're hearing, what are you hearing about a start of the season and how many games will be in this season? Yeah. You know, I, I think it'll be most of them. I think it'll be probably all of them. I lean towards a uh, regular season starting at a regular time. Um, and mostly because I just don't see the kind of, I'll say legal with air quotes. I don't see the, the argument that sits within the collective bargaining agreement that sits within the logic of baseball uh, to, to, to delay the season because the reason you uh, would delay it is because of maybe COVID or something, but we, the, the players proved last year they could play through the COVID protocols and, and, and play baseball. So it's kind of hard to now say, no, we need to delay the season when they say, well, you know, we proved it. we can play last year. We played last year. So 
I think it'll be kind of hard uh, unless the the, the uh, commissioner just kind of declares it as a power of his to delay the season on his own. Um, and it may have something to do with whether or not we are in a state of national emergency still as a country. So we'll, there are some things that could delay the season, but I think it'll be closer to a full season. Yeah, the thing that um, is going to be very tough for baseball against the players' union is every single time I look up and I'm watching a college football game or we're watching NFL games, we're seeing fans in the stands. So that's kind of, I mean, to, to, to and, I, I, and I know for us here in the Bay Area and depending on what county you're in, I'll just, you know, say Santa Clara County. I've, I mean, we've basically been on lockdown since March and we continue to be on a really strict lockdown. You know, I'm watching all these bowl games. And there's fans in the stands. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, there was a, there was some ability to to move uh, where you play your your baseball. I mean, at some point, we were talking about having the entire league play in Arizona. So, you know, if they really wanted to, uh, a California team could play temporarily in Arizona. Some of those uh, locations there are 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 pretty impressive. Um, and they might be able to get the same amount of, you know, we're talking about maybe five, 10,000 uh, fans at most. Um, I don't even think we can, we can talk about those sort of numbers just yet, but by the time the season rolls around, we may be talking about those kind of numbers in most of the markets. So that means there's fans in the stands. You're right. I think that's another argument against um, completely delaying the season. So um, I think, I think it'll happen, you know, whether or not there are fans in every, every park or not, um, they'll, they'll, they'll come to some sort of agreement. Now, I said earlier on the show, I have no problem with a slow free agency because obviously, you know, we're one of the <laughs> old, we're one of the only true baseball shows that runs year round. So uh, that'll you know, you start signing players in January or February. That just gives us more ammo, more stuff to talk about. Uh, I start thinking about free agency and I say, you know, as a general manager, it's got to be very tough because you don't exactly know the rules. You don't know if there's going to be a universal DH or not. You just I mean, there's just there's certain things. You don't know how many games you're going to play. I mean, how tough is that for these front offices when you say, why aren't you signing guys? It's kind of like, well, I'm kind of waiting to see how how are we playing? What's the roster? How how Are we playing with 26? Are we playing with 28? Are we playing with 30? Are we going to have a, a taxi squad? I mean, it's got to be, wouldn't you agree? It's got to be very tough for these front offices to figure out what they're going to do with their rosters. Yeah, and I'll add to that the uncertainty that comes with the stuff we were talking about. How many fans are we going to have? What's our income going to be like? What's our projected income? If we have our projected income, we get our budget from that, our player budget from that. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of agents that said that, that, you know, they're trying to start discussions with teams and some general managers are telling them, we just don't have a budget yet. So we don't even, we don't even know what we can spend. And um, so you see that, that sort of uncertainty filter down. So even if it's not, you're not just talking about a DH, uh, a player that might be a DH, you know, that they need to know if there's DHs. You're also not talking about a fifth or sixth reliever. They need to know how big the roster is. Just generally, even the top of it, like how much, how much can we give Trevor Bauer this year? Well, how much are we going to make this year? How much are we projected to make? I don't even know. You know, so uh, how can we give Trevor Bauer 30 million if we don't if we don't even know how many fans are going to stand? So uh, I have some, as you can tell from that answer, I have some sympathy for the front end for the front offices that are trying to navigate this. Uh, but at the same time, some of it seems like shooting themselves in the foot. Why can't they come to this agreement about the DH and the roster size now? 
Well, I'll tell you what, there's one team that's not afraid, and that's the San Diego Padres, and they're making big splashes. And A.J. Preller has been a big hunter, uh, their general manager there in San Diego. He's done this before. Just how impressed have you been with the Padres? While everybody sits back, everybody sits back on their hands, he's full go. Yeah, and it's amazing because they still haven't even eclipsed their uh, their salary from last year. They're still below where they were last year, but by moving normally, they seem to be uh, faster than general. You know, like they're kind of having a more, more of a normal off season uh, while everybody else is sitting on their hands. And I think the the one trade, I'm not sure that the the Blake Snell trade really encapsulates it because the Rays will do whatever they do. They always they're like the A's. If anybody's a fan of the A's, they understand that the Rays will trade a player and also acquire a player on the same day. You know, like the, the like, I remember when they got Cespedes that they did that right after they traded a bunch of players away and people were like, what, what are you doing? Are you trying to compete or not? Uh, the Rays are like that. So I'm not even going to talk about the Snell trade, but the U Darvish trade, the U Darvish trade, I think really showed what the league will be like for a lot of teams this year. as They try to cut costs. And the Padres just said, you know what? We can afford to run out another $160 million lineup just like we did last year. And, and just by being able to afford that, that means we can go get you Darvish for four guys who are like 17 years old. I mean, they, yeah. they traded away guys that are really far away. This was a salary dump. The U Darvish trade was a salary dump tra- trade for a guy who seems to be in a seat that almost won the Cy Young last year. So, you know, for teams that are trying to dump salary, it's going to be a very hard year for teams that are just willing to take on salary. You know, maybe the giants will be able to play, uh, make a play like that. I got to tell you when they use the term lottery tickets, that they traded you Darvis for lottery tickets. I was cracking up. I'd never, I've never heard that, but yeah, these kids are so young that the Cubs got from the Padres, the odds. I mean, you're hoping that one will make it to the big leagues, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. that, and, that, and, and that and leads me. Go ahead. Yeah, it comes off a season in which they didn't have a minor league season, so you don't even have minor league stats for them. You don't have any sort of advanced stats. You have you, you're kind of coming blind. You don't even have scouts at their at their workouts unless they were in instructs. So it's like, you know, you really have uh, very little information on these guys. It's, it's even more of a lottery ticket than maybe a normal season might be. So when when you look at like big time players like the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Giants, teams that have a lot of money, but they're all, you know, they're either already in it or they're about to, like the Cubs, you know, that retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. I mean, when you got big-time, big-market teams not trying to win, how many teams in baseball do you really think, as of right now, truly are in it to win it? I mean, it's it's – it's an infuri- infuriating question. <laughs> like it really should be all of them. Right. Um, and I think the the way that you can parse it is say in it to win it, you mean like, are they in it to try and, you know, be a good team this year? Then I think it's probably two thirds of the league. At least uh, they're all trying to be good, but are who's in it to try and build a championship team? Um, you know, that, that requires like really making sure that you're good at every position, no holes, you have backups that are good. That's the Yankees. Um, that's the Braves, I think. Yeah, the Braves. Uh, the Twins. Uh, and the Dodgers and Padres. I, I, I'm kind of running out of names. 
See, I, I always look at the A's as they're never – I mean, Billy Bean never uh, – Billy Bean always wants to win. David Force always wants wants to win. They're just not going to do anything flashy in the offseason, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they they sometimes have an interesting move in them, like the Cespedes one. But I would also just say that the A's are always trying to win, but they're never trying to win a championship. Uh, that's, that's where I sort of draw a line because the A's will try to make their roster good, but they're never going to go and sign a Garrett Cole – or do what a lot of the, the very top teams do uh, to, to kind of put that cherry on top of the roster. You know, the, the A's are like, we're going to build a team that's going to win 88, 88 games. And in some seasons, that 88 will turn into 81 and we'll trade guys away. And in some seasons, that 88 will turn into 94 and we'll, we'll acquire a couple of guys at the trade deadline. And that's, that's the A's, right? Well, I, I mean, I think from Bob Melvin's standpoint, they're, they're, I think with this core right now, and we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Marcus Simeon, but I think with this core right now, they believe they get if they get in, they got a chance. Uh huh. Well, it, there is a little bit different when you have these pitchers. I, I think it's been since maybe the the first big three that they've had pitchers with so much such so much excitement around them as Jesus Lazardo, Frankie Montas, that that sort of group, and Puck. And so maybe maybe it could be a little bit different this time. I also see Marcus Simeon as a guy who uh, hit the market at the wrong time, hit the wrong market at the wrong time, and uh, may end up back with Oakland um, if he sees uh, that number come down so much uh, that he's demanding. Yeah, I don't know what he's demanding, but, you know, he may, he may, the market may force Marcus Simeon back to, to Oakland. Um, and that would, I think that'd be a good, that'd be a good thing for them. Right now, the market has uh, two or three decent shortstops out there. So the A's have a choice between Didi Gregorius and, and Marcus Simeon, and, and that choice may allow them to uh, do something interesting. How much do you think of what we're hearing that teams are saying, yeah, Marcus, we're interested. We're just not interested as you as a shortstop. How much do you think that could push him back to Oakland? I, I think it could. Um, you know, some of his advanced stats at shortstop weren't, were some of the worst of his career last year, so maybe he could um, – you know, take a full season to, to change that, or maybe just change the industry idea about him. But it, if you look around baseball, the old shortstop is the way of the past. Uh, there were, there was one shortstop over the age of 30 last year, one starting shortstop over the age of 30 last year that qualified for the batting title. That was Brian Crawford. And there's a couple that were 30 and that's it. So I think that's just something that shortstops have to deal with. The good news is if your bat can play, uh, you can play at second, you can play at third. There, you can kind of move down the defensive spectrum um, and and make your way down that way. So I think the, the Reds will be interested in Simeon, but they'll also be interested in Didi Gregorius, and it'll be a short-term thing for them because they have a kid named Jose Garcia they think will come up and play for them. So I think for anybody with Simeon, they'll think it's a little bit like with George Springer. I think he can play center field for a while, but I don't think he'll play center field for the entire uh, the, the entirety of his new deal. So the same thing with Simeon. You say, I'm going to sign you for shortstop for a year or two and thinking that you might play somewhere else at the end of your deal. So you mentioned Trevor Bauer. I thought the way he's trolling everybody in baseball is fabulous, where he's in the lid store and he's got all the hats on his arm and the hats behind <laughs> him. He goes, hey, I can play for anybody. Um, when you really look at it, who's going to be a player for Trevor Bauer and will he get that big money? Yeah, I think he's come off of his, his early demands were, you know, to, to have like a $35 million one-year salary and pitch every four days. Um, and I think the combination of that just scares teams off. You know, they might be willing to take that kind of leap. But I think most organizations now want to do what I was saying, was like build a perennial 90-win team. 
So if you just pay for Bauer in one year, you're kind of shoving all your chips in for one year, and then what do you do? You, you don't have Bauer the next year. Um, so I think the teams would rather, you know, pencil them in for four or five years, even if it takes a, a fair amount. So I think, you know, the teams that are most likely to sign him are the like the, 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 the normal players, the Dodgers and the Yankees. Uh, but I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. The Blue Jays say they have money and they really need starting pitching. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if they got in there. And then um, the Phillies have, you know, Dave Dombrowski at their head and could always use more pitching. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, if they were involved in the end. You mean the Tampa Bay Blue Jays? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy given where they played and what's going on, but their parent company, Rogers, um, apparently lost less money or, or didn't even lose money in this last uh, this last year. So they're in a better position to spend. That's why you keep hearing them as finalists uh, for every for every player. Yeah, I mean, they, they supposedly are in on George Springer. Um, isn't that going to be interesting? I mean, they're they're... As of right now, Toronto, I mean, Canada is not going to allow any teams in. And, you Mm -hmm. know, with hockey, there's going to be the split. You're going to have the Canadian division. You're going to have the American division. But, you know, the Raptors can't play at home. The Blue Jays can't play at home. How do you think that will – does that – if you're able to say, all right, we're putting you all up in sweet condos and you're going to be there in St. Petersburg, Florida, is that really going to hurt the Blue Jays? Uh, I'd say hopefully it'll get resolved by the end of the season because, you know, I heard from players that, you know, I, I literally heard this from more than one player that last year the games had the intensity of a spring training B game. Um, that's how they felt about the games. So, you know, I, I think that that ties into where you're playing, who you're playing in front of. Um, and I think for these Blue Jays to be successful, I think of that big uh, Jose Bautista bat flip. And when I think of that, I think of also um, in Oakland when they were chanting Sonny Gray's name against the Tigers. There are moments where you you fuel the energy that an underdog needs to to succeed. I think, um, and I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit of part of why the Dodgers won this la- this last season in the playoffs. You don't have that fuel that you need uh, as an underdog necessarily. I don't know. It's a little bit of a a half-baked theory from a stats guy, a little bit surprising maybe. But I do think that – I mean, I think that fans matter. Fans matter. And um, I think that they could matter more to these kind of teams like the Blue Jays. All right, before we get to beer, one last one. I can't remember the last time we had the Yankees and the Dodgers fight over a player. And it's now being reported that – we know the Yankees do not want to lose D.J. LeMahieu. But it's now being reported that the Dodgers are interested in DJ LeMahieu. What do you think? I mean, if I'm him, oh, my God, that's like a dream being a free agent, having the Yankees and the Dodgers fight over you. Uh, how do you see that fight between L.A. and New York for DJ LeMahieu? I didn't anticipate it. Uh, and so I actually had DJ LeMahieu maybe taking, uh, you know, like a 4-70, and 4-80 and 80 deal. But I think that since this has percolated up, I think he might get more than a hundred million dollars and he might get what he wants. And I guess, you know, I just figured the Dodgers would go with the comfortable thing and take Justin Turner back. But I would, I guess I would assume that the team that loses out on DJ, DJ LeMahieu uh, signs Justin Turner to a much smaller deal. So um, they're kind of similar players. If you think about it, they, they hit the ball hard. They hit it to all, all parts of the field. Um, but LeMahieu is younger. 
uh, better defense probably at this point in their careers, uh, better, you know, sort of three-year outlook. So, um, yeah, that's what you want. That's what you want at the free agents. You want the Dodgers and the Yankees, both in the conversation. All right, let's end on this. 2021, what are you looking at beer-wise as we're going to be heading to spring? I'm back into the West Coast IPAs. I'm getting a little bit tired of the hazies. So every time I, I get a West Coast IPA, I'm like, oh, this is so good. It's nice and crisp and clear. And, uh, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what I want. I want back to the West Coast IPAs and back to fans in the stands, back to, God, I would love to go to spring training. Uh, I don't always say that every year. <laughs> When's the last time you've been to a sporting event? Um, it was spring training. I was, uh, I was complaining cause I'm a big ninny and I'm going to change that in the future. <laughs> I was complaining <laughs> about Clearwater, uh, and I was in Florida. I was complaining about Clearwater and, and, and complaining about some of the, uh, the st- places out there. And I was watching a game between, I think it was the Blue Jays and Phillies, uh, at their complex. And, uh, you know, that was the last time I got to, uh, to take in a, a game in person with fans. I, I saw a couple um, A's games this year, but that, that was the, that was the last time it felt normal. Well, we love reading your work. Uh, the athletic is second to none in journalism. We always appreciate having you on. We, we expect to talk to you a lot in 2021. Be well, be safe with your family and we'll talk soon. It's great having you on. Yes. Let's uh, 2021. One of the most eagerly anticipated years. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. Eno Saris from The Athletic. And you know what? That makes me think, Cody, that would have been, I guess that would be the last sport. It's either a Sharks game or it's spring training was the last game I think we've been to. Yeah, I think I, I said a Sharks game. I think I went to one in February. I think spring training was the last thing because remember we went to the games in Vegas and then the games in uh, in Mesa. So, yeah, spring training was the last one for me. For sure. Was that when, when 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 were we in Vegas? Was that late February? It was the end of February. It was like the I think this year was this or twenty twenty was a leap year, so we were in Vegas for leap year twenty twenty for that for the Cleveland baseball team and uh the A's and that's spring training uh game they played at, at the Aviators ballpark. Beautiful ballpark by the way. Uh they did a great job with that. But yeah, I think that's the last thing then we went to a couple of spring training games after that. I think that's the last thing I've been to. And then for you, you were down there a couple of days longer than I was. And that might be the last event you went to is a spring training game as well. God, that's hard to believe. I mean, we'll, we're, we're going to be coming up. I mean, one thing that you do know is that the first part of the year always flies by. January and February – you know, because you start dealing with NFL playoffs. You know, we're going to have the national championship game. How about Ohio State taking down Clemson? That was like, wow. Um, you know, it's going to be Ohio State, Alabama. Should be a really good game. Then we're going to have NFL playoffs. Next thing you know, it's Super Bowl. AT&T will be here down at Pebble Beach. I mean, January, you fly through January. All of you people want to go out and try and get in shape. Have you started that yet, Cody? Have you done your? I don't ever do the new year, new me thing. I This year I just said new year, same me. I'm not changing. Uh, I'm with you and, you know, 
I don't. I haven't eaten as much, but I drank a lot more. I feel like this past year. Um, so I feel like that's just something that, you know, I'm not gonna make it. I don't need to make any changes. I'm in relatively good health for being 32 years old. I mean, little I know in like two years, they'll tell me that my liver's shot or something. Who knows? But um, yeah, no, I'm not gonna go running. Uh, I do walks and stuff around my neighborhood, but I'm not one who's gonna go out and run, you know, three miles a day or something, and you know, just to and build that, you know, get that beach bod ready for you know us being able to go back to the beach again. Yeah, I didn't, I did not, I did not go, hey, 2021, I'm going to, you know, I didn't do any of that. I didn't make any New Year's resolution. I didn't do, I, 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 I actually, you know, I lied. I got one. 2021, let my marriage, let my wedding happen in November. Yeah. Hey, hey, by the way, if you can't get married by November, is it here? Uh, Yeah, it's here. The great city of Monterey. Yeah. You can't get married by November. Uh oh. Um, but we're all looking forward to that. What? That'll be a big, that'll be a big deal. Oh, the wedding, yeah. Well, as I tell my parents all the time, you only get married twice. <laughs> yeah, because that's the tough thing. Is like, you know, the the out the out of towners, the 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 people from Pennsylvania coming for your wedding, they all got to buy flights and get hotel rooms and. I made that list very small. It's just my parents and my sister and then, like, my best friend from back there. Other than that, all the people that I invited before, it's like, yeah, none of you are invited. Um, not that I don't want you here. Like, I'm saving you a ton of money by not having you have to fly out here. So, um, it's so cheap to fly right now. Are you kidding me? I know. Apparently, Southwest is doing, like, a like a $29 fare sale or something. And, like, I wanted to go home next month because my dad turns 60 at the end of February. But I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. But if we're able to, I'd love to. And then again, if I can get a flight for thirty dollars to Pittsburgh, it's pretty impressive. The lowest I ever got was like sixty-eight dollars, I think, one way. All right, coming up next, Mark Sweeney, longtime Major League Baseball player, fourteen years in the bigs, now does television for Fox Sports San Diego, covering the Padres, and also nationally for FS1 as an analyst. Swing dog, yeah, you can follow him on Twitter at Swing Dog Nine. Mark Sweeney's going to join us. He's always a good interview. He'll join us next right here as the Padres are the one team making major moves. We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, he had a hell of a career as a player, and now he does a great job nationally and also locally in San Diego. Mark Sweeney is with us. Swing Dog, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, I got to tell you, your guys' broadcast, I don't care what the score is. I, you guys, if you start going in Rosillo and Mark Grant, I mean, you guys, no one has more fun doing their jobs in baseball than you guys do. Uh, those two are prime timers, man. I just fill in uh, and and have as much fun as I can because that's what the game's about. Uh, honestly, I mean we've we those guys do a fabulous job. Uh, they have great chemistry, uh, but we're just telling stories, and it's not really uh, rocket science here. We're just telling about what's happening, and we're going to have a good time doing it. You know, my brother is a San Diego Padres season ticket holder, and. I don't think my brother has been this excited since that team you were on in 1998. 
I mean, just talk about how San Diego is so jacked for Padre baseball after all these moves. Yeah, you know what? This fan base is waiting a long time. And, you know, when you start talking about 1998, and they've had some successful years getting into the playoffs and uh, early exits has been, you know, the downfall. But, man, when you make moves like this, as you know, uh, when you get starting pitching, you have the ability to uh, further that, um, have the ability to have that excitement. But I think they started that last year in the 60-game truncated season um, they started playing much better. They had some really good success stories that came out of nowhere, like a Jake Cronenworth, which was a great story. But you also had guys like Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming on. And, man, these guys are get, get exciting because now you have an offense and you start acquiring, starting pitching like they did. Uh, man, that's a nice story. A.J. Preller has been a big hunter before. I just, in this climate where everybody's sitting on their hands and all of a sudden it's just move after move and you're like, you're getting Snell, who's won a Cy Young Award. Uh, Darvish could have won it last year if not for Trevor Bauer. I mean, it was. what was it like when all of a sudden these moves started coming down? What were you thinking? You know what? Uh, you know, the devastating thing was he made the move on the trading deadline for Mike Clevenger and yeah. everyone was excited because it kind of pushed everyone else back. The Nelson Lamette was having a very good year, but, you know, that put him at the number two spot. Uh, Chris Paddock had uh, up and coming um, a year last year, struggled a little bit this year, but you started putting people in place and you also had some experience. Um so when Mike Clevenger's injury happened at the end of the year, it was devastating. Also, Denelson Lamette went down. So you kind of felt that A.J. Prowler and his staff were going to go out there and try to get some starting pitching, maybe an innings eater. I didn't realize it was going to be Blake Snell and, and you Darvish. I mean, who, who does? Those are bold moves, but you get it done because you have a, a, a minor league system that a lot of people are trying to get to. Um, and they've developed that. They've been very patient. But, man, when you start getting two guys of that caliber where they can frontline your rotation, uh, obviously I think the team's excited, the fan base is excited, and, man, we get to have more fun, which is, is kind of fun for us uh, being broadcasters. You know, a couple articles have been written about it, and it's you know kind of scary, the state of baseball, that there were 29 teams out there that could have got you Darvish and what the Padres gave up were a, a lot of, a lot of kids. I mean, some, of, I think some of them were 17 years old. They didn't, they didn't even play last year. Uh, what did you think about the haul that the Padres had to give up to get you Darvish? Cause a lot of young guys. Yeah. It's interesting because I think, uh, like, like I said, I, I think uh, AJ Preller and his staff done a great job, uh, obviously drafting international market they've done a very good job trying to acquire these guys but they understand the importance of of making a trade uh you know you, you look at the trade he made with the white Sox, getting fernando tatis jr uh he was only 17 18 when they traded for him so that can happen i, I know the talent that went over there we didn't put our eyes on them too much because they were in lower levels we don't get the opportunity to see those guys but, man, uh, a lot of guys in the organization spoke, spoke very highly of the haul that the Chicago Cubs get. So you look at Jed Hoyer, you understand that that's, you want to try to layer your system and get some talent through it, uh, through it within. I think they did a very good job of that. That being said, I think the Padres are in a position where they have to go out there and, and seize an opportunity because they got to close the gap with the Los Angeles Dodgers.
Well, speaking of the Dodgers, you know, you got a chance to play against that Braves team that had one of the greatest runs in the history of the game where they won their division 14 straight years. You look back on that and it's just like, wow. But uh, the Dodgers, they've won it eight straight years. They're now the World Series champion. How much of that gap do you think the Padres have closed on the Dodgers? Yeah, to your point, I I mean, they are the, the cream of the crop, especially in the National League, if not baseball now. Um, they have a template that I think a lot of people are trying to emulate. Very difficult to do. Um, and they added Mookie Betts last year, which I think probably put them over the top. Uh, they develop well. Um, they have versatility in their roster. I think that gap has been reduced. I still think they're the cream of the crop, and that's okay. I think the Padres understand that, that it's a fear factor. You go into a series whether it's a regular season or you get into the playoffs and you play them, you got to play your best. You have to pitch well, you have to execute. And I think the Padres have done a nice job with that, trying to add a little bit of versatility because when Dave Roberts is making moves at the end of the game um, and switching positions, being able to adapt to his roster, uh, they almost seem that they get stronger as the game goes along. And they have that formula. You got to have the players that do that. I think the Padres definitely have that now. Um, there's some tweaking with the roster, I'm sure, that A.J. Preller thinks. But, man, they're, they're closer, and I don't think they fear the Dodgers, even though they should respect them. And I think that's always uh, something that you should do. You know, we saw Manny Machado for years here in the American League when we'd be taking on the Baltimore Orioles. So we know what kind of player and the kind of talent he has. Uh, you played with Hall of Famers, and you played against some of the best players who have ever played the game. How do you rate Fernando Tatis Jr. when you start looking against all those great players you played with or against? Yeah, you know what? And and, and we have to pump the brakes with it, too, because when you start talking about Hall of Famers and you start talking about the talent in the game, I, I think it takes time. You guys watch uh, Chapman play on a daily basis. And, man, that guy is starting to put up numbers. He's starting to defend the way he has. Um, that's a guy that you start looking at and going, man, this guy can uh, can do it all. I mean, these are some of the things that I think Fernando Tatis is trying to do. He does it differently because of the energy he brings on a daily basis. I've said this to a bunch of people, and it's not a surprise now because he's been around for two years. Um, he hasn't played a full season yet. And the amount of games that hasn't even reached 162 yet. So that's why I say pump the brakes. But his energy is infectious. And why I say that, I think he betters uh, Manny Machado. And that's amazing that you're talking about a guy that just turned 22 the other day. And he is really motivating Manny Machado to be a better player. That being said, Manny is a huge influence on him. And it's a great mesh. That left side of the infield is going to be there for a long time. And, man, that's a nice luxury for the Padres to have. You know, it was the Fox game of the week, uh, A's against the uh, Padres, where they mic'd up a bunch of our guys and they mic'd up your guys. And they had Fernando Tassi. And I I loved it because, you know, I didn't know – I don't know what kind of personality he has, but all of a sudden he's mic'd up out there and he's talking about, you know, you got to look good to play good. And I'm like, this kid's got – he's got so much personality. We need to show – like Mookie Betts, we need to show all these young guys that are so talented. We need to show everybody their great personalities. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you uh, realize that, um, you know, you have to grow the game. Um, If you have the energy, you have the ability to go out there and be that guy that uh, is not scared of failing, but also 
you're going to put energy into that particular game, but also your personality is going to come out. Um, I love that. A lot of these guys are guarded now, and for obvious reasons, social media has a lot to do with that. But Fernando Tatis Jr. was raised the right way. Um, he speaks with respect, but he also sits there and shows flash. And I think he does it in a classy way. Um, it, it's, it's yet to be determined, but I think everyone sees exactly what you saw on that game of the week. His personality comes out. And I think national media and also the attention he's getting, he's already a Gatorade commercial. So you're going to probably see a lot of that. So I think a lot of people say, you know, the, the face of baseball a little bit too much. I think it has a lot to do with players across the game, grow the game as much as you can show personality and really show the fans that you are a normal guy that's going out there and you're a very talented player. That's what he does. And I love the ascension he is on. You know, you think about all these guys who are free agents right now, and you you understand that role. And, you know, some of the front offices are saying, we haven't even been given our budget, so we don't even know what we could sign you for yet. What do you think it would be like to be, you know, out on the market right now? You're in January. Before you know it, February is going to be here. What do you think it'd be like? What, what do you think it'd be like to be a free agent right now? You know what? It's a great question. I think it's, it's all tears, right? Um, uh, I was a, I was a guy that was a pinch hitter that had to wait a long time for free agency to work, work it out, self out. Um, you got an early call with some teams having interest, but that call was, there was a lot of space in between. And that was typical back in the day because you had your tiers where the stars signed. Um, you had some big name pitchers signed and it started filtering down, but we had to wait. These guys that are waiting, that are stars, uh, the JT Real Muto, um, uh, all of these guys that are that have to wait to sign uh, Trevor Bauer. I think so many guys wait, and it's they get impatient. So it's going to be a flurry of moves uh, for guys that are in um, role playing. Uh, that's going to be very difficult for those guys at the end when they're trying to get a, a roster spot. So there's going to be a lot of uh, wheeling and dealing. And I still think the trade market is going to be very volatile too, because if you don't get one of those starting pitchers, uh, you're going to have to be creative. And I think uh, AJ Prowler and his staff felt that they had to be creative early in this process. All right, let's end on this. Let's say you never play baseball and you go on to play quarterback at the university of Maine. Do we see you <laughs> playing on Sundays in the NFL? I was, uh, no, they would not have seen me in the NFL, but man, I would have had fun because that was my first love. I, I loved football. I loved that mentality, but I think I made the right choice going to baseball and, and uh, figuring out a way I could, I could carve out a career. I was blessed to be in the league for that long, but man, football is always my favorite. So Saturdays and Sundays in the off season, I'm still watching football like I was playing. So I, I get excited, but I think I made the right choice, and I'm very blessed to, to have that uh, where I had a career in baseball, and I was very fortunate. You don't know. You could have been the next Steve Young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, did I watch him. I, Jim Zorn was my favorite growing up, believe it or not, and that's the reason why I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan to this day. Hey, great stuff. I, 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 hope to, I hope to see you down at spring training. I mean, I think we're all hoping for that, but uh, be safe with the family. Be well, and we always appreciate it. Thanks. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, can't wait for baseball to start. Good stuff. Mark Sweeney of the San Diego Padres had a nice 14-year career. 
Cardinals, Padres, Reds, Brewers, back to the Padres, then to the Rockies, back to the Padres, uh, Giants, and ended with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, I've always said, I think it's a blessing to play for a lot of teams. As someone who loves to travel, I know everybody talks about staying in one place your entire career, but think about all those cities. Think about all the fan bases. See, think about all the experiences you would have playing in all those cities. I think it'd be cool. I mean, think about it. You get to play in the Midwest with St. Louis, Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati would be the one place I wouldn't want to live. Um, did I ever tell you about my Cincinnati experience with the Raiders? Yes, yeah. There's a lot of great cities in the United States of America. And then there's some cities where you go, I've been once. I don't ever need to go again. No offense, Cincinnati. Milwaukee, great city. And then you got to think, he gets to live. I mean, playing San Diego, you think that's going to suck? Playing for the Giants, doesn't suck. Playing for the Dodgers, doesn't suck. I mean, these guys, I mean, that's not a, you know, you don't, you don't, I mean, you live in a condo. And on off days, you get to go, I mean, you get to go around and explore. I'm an explorer. So when I go into a city, I like research and have places to go. And uh, I, I like to see the cities. You know, you can't say, oh, I've been there when you just hung out in the hotel. They used to drive me nuts, by the way. A lot of these NFL teams, the people that, well, now you can't leave the hotel, obviously, with COVID. But a lot of these NFL teams, the staff, they just sit in the hotel for multiple days. And I'm like, why don't you get out? Go somewhere. Go check out a museum. Go, go, you know, like when you're in Kansas City, my God, how are you not going to every barbecue spot? There's all kinds of famous barbecue spots. How are you not going? Like, how do you not explore? I don't get that. You got a free ride to go explore a city that you may never go back to again in your life. I don't get it. I mean, we know first, I mean, I don't know firsthand, but you know firsthand that uh, the great John Gruden appreciates you going out and exploring the town all the time. Was that was that in New York when he told you that? Yeah, so a uh, buddy of mine, a couple who lives in New York, they took me on a historic pub crawl. Every pub was early 1900s or it was in the late 1800s. We went to one pub that was established in like 1887. It was incredible. So as I'm walking out of the – so I went into the meal room, grabbed some water, and I'm walking out, and I walk by this meeting room. It's dark, and Gruden's sitting there by himself. And I went up to him. I said, hey, coach, let's blow this place. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going on a historic pub crawl. You got to go with me. And everybody goes, yeah, Danny, I like your style, man. You go out, and you have a good time. That's what all these other guys should be doing, but they don't, and I don't understand. I really li- I, I, I like your style. <laughs> It's not a great Gruden, but yeah, Gruden told me he likes my, he, he liked the fact because we would do the TV show together and he'd always ask me, what'd you do? And I tell him, I went, Hey, in Kansas city, I mean, in Kansas city, I've been to the, the Negro league museum. I've been to the jazz museum and I've been to the world war one museum, which is like a top 10 museum in the country. World war, world war one museum will blow your mind. Like, cause because for us, not to get off baseball too much, but for us, we really didn't get, I don't know about you, Cody, I'm older. Everything was about World War II and after. We didn't get a whole lot of World War I. And World War I was way bigger than World War II. More people died in World War I than any other war ever on the planet. 
Yeah, we mainly started with World War Two. That was the one. I mean, like, yeah, we fixated on the Civil War when I was growing up, and like, I my my I almost completed my minor in college and oh, history. That's right. Yeah, we. It's like Civil War to World War Two, but World War One is the biggest. Like everybody was in it. Everybody was in it. It was crazy, and how it started. They're not necessarily. They don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's my. And then you the 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 invention of the machine gun. You still had some countries on horse with swords, and you're going up with guys with machine guns. And then they have they have all the they got tanks. You know the evolution of the tank during World War One, the evolution of bombs and guns and planes. If you're ever in Kansas City, I'm telling you, Negro League Museum and World War One Museum a must. And then you hit all the different barbecue spots. And by the way, it's cheap. I, I, that was the most shocking thing to me, like Kansas City Joe's, which is one of the famous places. So I got a buddy who used to live here that went back home to Kansas City, my buddy Woody, and we went to Kansas City Joe's. It's actually in a gas station. Like, you know, this stuff's old school, bro. It's old school. And as you're waiting in line, you can buy a beer. So you can gas up and then go into this. It's like a little tiny restaurant. It's like one of the the originals. And I remember just going, it only costs how much? And I'm like, give us ribs. Give us pulled pork. Give us brisket. I, I ordered everything. Right? And he's looking at me going, we can't we can't eat all that. Man, I don't care, man. This, like The whole bill came out to like nothing. I ordered almost everything on the menu. And you just can't beat their barbecue. You just can't. I don't care. I've had barbecue. I've had barbecue all over the place. I've had Texas. I've had. I, there's nothing like Kansas City. They're the head. They're the Muhammad Ali. They're the they're the heavyweight champs. I heard Memphis has really good barbecue, but I haven't been to either. I've only driven through Kansas City, but um, Memphis I, is a dry rub. They don't do sauce. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. I Kansas City for seeing Arrowhead and Coffin Standing were something like two things I want to do and the World War One Museum and I've always wanted to see the the Negro Leagues Museum as well uh and then now the barbecue um there's a lot to do there I guess I'll have to make a trip there eventually um I'm telling you when you go in the trippiest part you're going to get halfway through the Negro League Museum and next thing you know you hear Vita Blue and Marty Lurie yeah that'll be I I remember they they narrate the story like all of a sudden I'm looking all of a sudden I'm like that's Vita Blue's voice Oh, my God, that's Marty Lurie. And you start walking around, you go, and there's, like, this little theater, and they're narrating this piece. I'm like, and I'll never forget, and Marty Lurie, friend of the program, and Vita Blue, friend of the program, uh, I remember texting Marty Lurie going, Marty, I'm in the Negro League Museum listening to your voice right now. He says it's the highlight of his career, and I always bring it up when he comes on, and I brought it up with Vita, too. I, it was a big deal for them. So they're they're in the Negro League Museum. It, it's It's – Check this out. You go up to the Negro League Museum. What I didn't realize is right across the way in the same building is the Jazz Museum. So all you do is, you know, you leave the Negro League Museum and then just walk about 15 yards, and now you're in the Jazz Museum. You walk in, it's Ella Fitzgerald's gown, and, you know, it's got all the famous guys and trumpets and everything. But I walk up, and the young lady goes, it's eight dollars, but if you if you want, you can do the jazz museum two for thirteen. 
So for $13, I got to go to the Negro League Museum and the Jazz Museum. I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's only $13. I'd pay $60, and you're only charging $13? Yeah, those are definitely two things. And um, that's like the Smithsonian's in D.C. Like, I love going to those, because not because they're free. It's just because there's so much stuff in there to look at, and that's why it's so oh, cool. Incredible. Before we go back to baseball, when you said Gruden sitting in the dark room, the first thing I thought of was him looking at the schedule going, win, 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 eight and eight, man. <laughs> eight and eight. <laughs> and the game wasn't even on in the Bay Area yesterday. Uh, I, I thought they lost. I saw it was 31-24, and I'm like, oh, they lost. They, I saw they scored, and I'm like, yeah, this game's over. And I looked, and it's like everyone on Twitter, the Raiders won. I'm like, I thought the game was over. What was uh, what what uh, what what ended up happening with the uh, Arizona 49ers? They lost, right? Yeah, the, they were down by three, and Beathard had the ball, and he fumbled on the next possession, and Seattle got and scored again. And the Niners scored a garbage touchdown to make it. A, I think they ended up losing by three. So now they have the 12th pick in the draft. Yeah, to all to all our Niner faithful, the faithful, you don't want to win that game. Okay, because you figure you finish seven and nine, you're going to move back. But then again. That wouldn't, have been a, that wouldn't have even been the talking point anyway after we saw uh, the Philadelphia Eagles channel their inner Philadelphia 76ers and tank that game away last night. So tanking's hit the NFL now. I'm sure that everyone's going to be very up. Everyone's already up in arms about it on Twitter, but a lot of the national writers. So now Are they the, up in arms now? How the, everyone thinks that the Eagles tanked away the game last night when they took Jalen Hurts out and put in the third-string quarterback when they were down by three points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, now you know what baseball people think and basketball fans when they see teams tank or, sorry, um, rebuild or load management or what. Maybe it was load management for Jalen Hurts in the last game of the year. Hey, there's been there's been years at the end of the year and team comes to town or A's are on the road and they're playing somebody. And you, like, look at the roster and you're like, I don't even – who are these guys? Like, literally, I, I don't know who these guys are. I think the best is when we did it for the, the Giants and A's and Baby Ritz Series in 2019 when we were over there and we're like, we played that, the thing from Major League. Who the bleep are these guys? Did you know any of that? Like, I'm like, it was the year. Um, what was the year the A's finished 81 and 81? 2010. Is that 2010? Yeah, Bob Guerin, right? Yeah. So, uh, not front of the program. Um the A's were four games under 500 heading into a four-game set in Seattle. And the A's would sweep that series to finish 81 and 81. You know how hard it is to finish 81 and 81? But I remember that series. Go back and look at that at that Mariners team. They had dudes that were double-A guys. I mean, it was brutal. And you're like, who? I mean, the whole team. And that's and that's kind of I, I somehow some way. Major League Baseball, I don't know how you do it. I, I just it has to get rid of that. Well, I mean, we saw it a I mean, lot. In, we've seen it a lot in baseball with you know the Cubs and the Astros, and like it's worked in that way. And then now the Orioles are doing it, and Detroit's doing it, and Pittsburgh's doing it, and it does, you can't even pick a team. The NL essentially thinks it's going to win the division in twenty twenty one. None of them are going to. They're all unloading caps or you know um, contracts. The Pirates are doing the same thing, but they've been rebuilding for a couple of years now. So you can't even pick a team. Then the NBA, you got tanking all over the place, load management, although they kind of fixed the load management a little bit. But you still got teams that don't care about winning. I mean, the Sixers were so bad for so many years, and now they're finally at the, they're getting better. But it's just 
baseball has to figure this out because it's it's one of those things. You're right. It's just uh, it's bad for the sport, and it, it's almost as bad as uh, well, people's thoughts on the Hall of Fame, but I'm sure we'll get to it later. But um, it's just the the tanking and everything in baseball, and the just not being competitive and not building a team. It goes back to your point of how there's probably maybe what ten teams trying to win going into this next season, and you know a couple of them here on the West Coast, and, that, and then it's kind of spread out after that. I have an answer. I I I know a way that you could you could end all this, and you know who I'm going to ask next, and to see if if I have a good theory or not. Our guy Mike Farron from the Arizona Diamondbacks and MLB Radio on Sirius XM, he's going to join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Yeah, we got to get Matt Olson on because, as he says, he's a big fan of A's Cast. True. Got to figure out how many, how many, uh, how much he's logging in. There he is. Sup, boys? How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Just so honored, one, that I could be here um, to kick off the new year, and two, that Cody actually got his hair cut. <laughs> we've all, we've, we, we, unfortunately, wives, fiancés made us actually cut the, uh, the long hair. And uh, <laughs> so my, my, my wife pulled, we, we, we went down to Santa Barbara and uh, to tour UCSB with the kids. Uh-huh. My wife goes, This is potential Christmas card. Uh, you need to go cut that long hair. So my long hair is gone. Sad. <laughs> That's great. My wife's been doing my hair for uh, nine months, and I actually think she's done a pretty good job of it. I should say probably more like six. I probably went three months without a haircut, but she's she's done all right. I mean, there's only so much you can do to fix this anyway, so. I gotta say that's it's not you know for for everybody out there listening uh, we can see each other right now that's actually not bad she's pretty good she's pretty good yeah she's gotten really good at it so I'm I'm very impressed by her work well it's 2021 we survived 2020 um, obviously you know your work around the Arizona Diamondbacks but what you do nationally with uh, Sirius XM for me XM Channel 89 love listening to you and the Duke. Um, what are you hearing about the start of the season? What, like, how many games? A time frame? Is it all over the place? What are you hearing? I mean, I think th- that I would say that there's two different things. There is what um, I think the league and ownership would like, and what is actually most likely to happen. I think for the most part, there's a feeling that pushing the start off would make some sense. I mean, certainly as we start to, you know, hopefully knock on wood in the next couple of weeks, work through the, the bottleneck that is getting vaccinations out. And as more vaccines become available as, you know, at the end of January, I think AstraZeneca's uh, vaccine should go up for, for uh, an emergency use, uh, use authorization in front of the FDA. And, and, you know, if all that happens, then maybe things start to get closer to, uh, when we might be able to gather in groups, or, or at least some of us might be able to gather in groups come May. But I, I think 
there's a lot to be said for the idea of delaying it. But I also think that the way the collective bargaining agreement is written and the fact that they were able to play, you know, a, a season last year, especially where they went with something like 11 weeks without a positive test or with one positive test until Justin Turner tested positive during the world series, um, that it probably doesn't have a whole lot of merit to just say, well, it, it's safer to be able to wait to play. So my guess is, and this is what the league continues to tell everybody was prepare for the season starting on time until you hear differently. And that's kind of the way we're working on it now. I mean, it's, I mean, you know how this is Townie, like working in covering baseball or working for a team, when you get to January 1st, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, the season's starting. Like we got six weeks to get ready for spring training. It feels like we're like twice as far behind because there's just been so much uncertainty about when the year might start. And now we're faced with the middle of February, likely when pitchers and catchers report and okay, let's go. So I, I think as of right now, we're starting on time and, and opening day will be with April 1st. You know, I was talking about this earlier, how January, because there's so many big events in January that it, it, it just it, it, it's so fast. I mean, all the bowl games we just watched. Now we're going to have the national championship game, Alabama, Ohio State, NFL playoff start. Next, you know, it's Super Bowl. And then right after the Super Bowl, it's pitchers and catchers. I mean, so yeah. this is like, it's like every single year everybody wants to get back in shape and you want to eat better and you want to do all that but because of the sports calendar because we get so many big events after big events that next thing you know bam it's time it's like you know before you know it we're going to be in mid february right and and i think that that's and it just takes on that added pressure in knowing that you know a lot of us were working under the assumption and i know i know what happens when you assume and why you shouldn't assume <laughs> but but that there was probably going to be some level of, of delay to the start of the year. So as of now, it doesn't look like that. That certainly could change. We could see things change over the course of the next month. We could see things change in the situation in Florida or Arizona, where the governors feel that things would not be safe enough for players to be here and for spring training to be going. I don't think that that's likely based on their decision-making in the past, although I will say that that for the second time in less than a year, Arizona is at the peak in terms of, of per, per population uh, COVID cases in the world. So it it's a little bit of a scary time. It's a dicey time in that, but we also know that that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's just a matter of whether or not we can you know, stay safe enough until we get there. So we talked about you early in the show from the standpoint oh, no. No, it's good. It's good. We love you. You know that. Um, it's the everybody knows their own team better than everybody else. Everybody knows their own division. Because I was like telling Cody, I'm like, if we really want to break down the NL Central, I'm not your guy, right? I'm an AL West guy. I'm, you know, I, that's the that's what I have to focus on. So since you are a National League West guy, the pot we just we just had Mark Sweeney on. I mean, Sandy, my. my my brother's a uh, Padre season ticket holder. They're all jacked in San Diego. I mean, AJ Preller is like coming out guns a blazing. Uh, when you look at what the Padres have done, and now now they're talking about DJ LeMahieu could end up with the Dodgers. I mean, it's an arms race right now in the National League West. I know you're paying attention to it. How do you see it? Um, well, I, I mean, I think it, it's fair to say that there is, um, that things are closer between the Dodgers and the Padres in terms of what the projections look like right at this moment. 
uh, than really anybody has been to the Dodgers over the course of the last the seven or eight years. And and that even factors in what was a 2018 where the Dodgers you know had to go to a, a game 163 to win the division over Colorado. I mean, projected the Dodgers were, were clearly the favorites coming into the year. I think the one problem that you have with looking at those projections is those projections are based on the fact that the Dodgers haven't done anything. So the Dodgers haven't done anything at all. They haven't brought back Justin Turner or Kike Hernandez or Blake Trinan or any of the little things that they could do just to, to retain people who were on their roster this year. Um, and they're still in a dead heat with the Padres. I mean, th- that to me just speaks to how deep LA is. And they're going to do something, whether it's bringing back Turner on a shorter term deal or extending a little longer for LeMahieu, they'll likely add someone there. They'll find some sort of value sign on the free agent market for the bullpen to couple with their young arms. And they're going to just be really, really good again. So, yes, the Padres have closed the, ba- the gap from a talent standpoint. But I think by the time we get to spring training, we'll see that the Dodgers have a slight but not commanding edge over San Diego. And the other part is the Dodgers, to me, have a little bit less risk than San Diego does. There's some there's some risk in the arms that they have, whether it be Denelson Lamette, you know, coming off a biceps injury. And, you know, while they expect him to be ready for spring training, if he's not, that's a huge loss. I mean, he was kind of a down ballot and as a young candidate last year. Um, you know, Blake Snell has had some some elbow issues in the past Darvish has had some, some health issues in the past. So there, and they have a lot of youth beyond their, their kind of core four in that rotation. So um, I think that there's a little bit of risk with San Diego, but right now on paper, they're clearly the two best teams in the division. And then you get the diamondbacks and uh, probably just a tick behind them, the giants and, and Rockies at the bottom. You know, I've never been a major league baseball free agent, but if I ever was, <laughs> If there were two teams that I would want fighting for me, I think I would want the Yankees and the Dodgers fighting over me. Yeah, I think in most winters you would want that, but you know, in in the um, the frozen stove that we have right now, I don't know that that's necessarily going to cause people to like. I might want the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, I don't know who else is spending and the Padres maybe like fighting over me, right? Like the or the Blue Jays and the Mets. Those might, wait, wait, George wait, Springer wait. might be in the better position, you know. Did you say the St. Petersburg uh, Blue Jays? Yes, the Dunedin Jays, the Buffalo Jays. I, you know, so like I, I think. Um, listen, DJ LeMahieu is a really good hitter, and you saw him a lot in Colorado, and he's taken his game to another level in New York. I think in large part because that ballpark just really suits him well. He is an opposite field hitter. I don't think that there's – I mean, he he may have taken the Jeter inside-out swing and taken it to another level. Um, and with the short porch and right at Yankee Stadium, he can take full advantage of it. He's not going to be a power guy going forward. He is 32, so he's not going to be necessarily a, a – you know, prime middle of the order force, but he's a very good player. He's a, a a good offensive piece. He can play a bunch of different positions. He's won gold gloves at second base in the past. So he's a really good add for whoever ends up with him. And it's no surprise that the teams that have money to spend or the biggest market teams have been interested in the Mayhew so far this winter. What do you think the D-backs do going forward? I'm going to be pretty quiet. Um, I just don't see the Diamondbacks being in a situation where they're going to have a whole lot of flexibility to be able to add. 
Um, maybe they end up with somebody that they can, you know, give a right-handed bat who can play a corner in the outfield or maybe a little bit of third base. But we're talking on a low-dollar deal. And I think the same would be said for, you know, anybody that fills in in the bullpen. There's just not going to be a whole lot of money spent. They were impacted, obviously, by a lack of fans and uh, a lack of revenue sharing. Um, and so the, it's going to be a very quiet winter for the Diamondbacks. That that's kind of pretty much the majority of baseball, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. And it's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I I think if you have a smart front office right now, and you have an owner that's willing to maybe take some loss or, or spend some of their you know their uh, money that they may have had earmarked for other places, and listen, it's it's easy for me to tell somebody else how to spend their money, right? Because I don't have it, and I just have the perception of what money is. But if you have a, if you have a smart front office and you have a little bit of money to spend you do really well this winter because of what we've seen with a number of players that, you know, there's, there's what 270 some odd major league free agents that are still available right now. You know, I mean, that's, that's like nine a team. Like that's not all those guys are going to get major league deals. And I think when you look at guarantees on some of those contracts, if you have say $20 million to be able to spend, you can spend it really well. Like keep an eye on Minnesota. They seem to have a little bit of money. Like Minnesota is going to find some deals that you go, Oh man, how did they get that guy? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants are one of those teams that do that. You know, they've been keeping their powder dry, waiting for moments. I think they're a little bit better than people than people realize. Like I could see them adding to their mix. There are some teams that are well positioned to do that and take advantage of the depressed market. Yeah, and, and selfishly, you know, like yourself, there's not many of us that do a year-round baseball show. And we're so used to just all the fireworks at the winter meetings. And after that, everything goes cold for us, though. The fact that we're going to at some point, we're going to start to see signings. And that's going to be good for our it's going to give us something to talk about here in January and February beyond just, you know, everybody focusing on the Super Bowl and the NFL playoffs. I mean, at some point when they start really getting the budgets we're going to finally start seeing some players. Yeah, I agree. And it's got a little bit different feel than it did in the Harper Machado off season a couple of years ago, where where was that before 2018 or 2019 when things were really, really slow, right? 2018, 2019 were really slow winters. It felt like they were never going to end. Um, And then you ended up with, you know, like these superstars signing later in 2018, I think it was, there were just like, there was a ton of really good free agents that were still available as we got to spring training. And, that might be the case in terms of it, but this has a little bit different feel. Maybe it's because we're more prepared for it than we have been in the past. Um, but you're right in that we'll have plenty. We should have stuff to talk about over the course of the next month to six weeks because teams are going to have to fill out their rosters and they're going to have to add. And And I think that there are going to be some teams that all of a sudden, you know, you never know. I, I don't know what it's like to be rich like you, Townie, but I'm assuming that like <laughs> – there are days where you pull up the couch cushion and you find like $3 million to be able to sign a left-handed reliever. And like when the, the teams that, that find the money in their couch cushion are, are going to really benefit here in, in the competitive environment for this year. You have no idea what's underneath my couch. <laughs> the, the way you said that was so ominous <laughs> that I have no desire to find out what is underneath the couch. Were you able to go to games this year? I went to I went to one doubleheader the last weekend of the season. That was it. I was at home for the whole thing. So our governor was so strict on us that we could not. We we just 
treated everything like a road game. Yeah. And today we've been talking about it. Like, when's the last game? The last game that I've been to was a, there was a Sharks game that was able because Cody and I live right by the Shark Tank. But I really think the last game I went to was a spring training game. And that's we're coming up on a year. Yeah, that I haven't been to a sports game. You know, I did our spring training game the Tuesday before everything shut down. And then we were supposed to do one against the Brewers the day that the season got put on pause and it yeah. rained here in Arizona. And so it got it got washed away. But yeah, I mean, outside of the the doubleheader that I was at against the Rockies the last Friday of the season, I mean, that's been it. And I miss it, man. Like I keep talking about, I was telling my wife, like, whenever we get the vaccine, like I want to go to sporting events. Like, I just want to go, like, I'll go watch, like, we're fortunate here. The Suns are pretty good. Like they're off to a good start and they're a fun team. And I'm like, I'll go, I'll go to the Suns. I'm not the biggest NBA fan in the world, but I just want to be a part of sporting events again, because it's been such a huge part of my professional life for the last 20 years. And, and as a sports fan, my entire life, I want to have a beer and Italian sausage and go to a sporting event. That's all I want. Yeah. I just like I'll even pass on the Italian sausage. I'll just have a second beer. <laughs> well, you got to pick how you're going to do your car. I mean, my big problem is like I can never go to like like Tony. When was the last time you went to a baseball game and had a beer? Like a regular season baseball game and had a beer? Uh, that's a long time ago. I went in. We had an off day. I think in Baltimore once, like four or five years ago. I think that was the last time I was like. I'm getting tickets and I'm going to have a couple of cold ones. And that's going to be, yeah, that's stand. great. Sit in the stands. I miss it. I have, I have four tickets for every single game. I've literally actually as a fan, never sat in them. Yeah. Like my kids will be down there and I'll go down and see him or like friends or sponsors or whatever. I've never sat in my own season tickets as a fan. You know, like you would talk about the other things I miss. Like I miss scouts. Like I miss sitting in the food room, Cliche. And shooting the breeze with like scouts or hearing good stories or, yeah. you know, I love minor league baseball. So I miss going to minor league games and sitting behind home plate with scouts and listening to them talk and picking their brain. And like, I miss, I miss all those things. I miss Talking baseball with baseball people. P- people in baseball love to talk baseball. They just love to talk. It's one of the reasons why I love covering baseball is because there's, I mean, listen, it, it is a sport that is really easy to get obsessive about because there's so much minutia in it. And I really love it. And, and I miss all those things that you get from the human interaction of being connected to people and learning and asking questions. And man, it's like, I can't wait till we get that back that I'm salivating about. Well, that, I mean, you bring up the minor leaguers and something that we're, we're, we're so fixated on getting big league baseball back. I mean, minor league baseball has not played Mm -hmm. for a year. We have no direction. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, I've heard Jim Callis came on the program and said, We'll probably see a situation where the major league players or the 40-man roster, whatever it is, they come to camp, and when they leave, then the minor leaguer. I mean, you're talking about the – I feel so bad for these minor leaguers, these college baseball players, these high school baseball players as – I mean, we're getting past a year where these guys haven't played. Yeah. 
I mean, I think college season is going to start here in about six weeks. I mean, I think that's certainly a good sign. I mean, we're going to, we're seeing conferences roll out their plans now for that. And that's exciting. And we should get better looks at guys in college and, you know, prep players, at least the, the high level ones got to compete this summer in showcase events. So that was certainly good news. You know, And from the scouting standpoint, I think it was great for amateur scouts and, and cross checkers to be able to be out and see those guys. So there's a good feel for the prep class, but yeah, just getting competitive baseball back like I, I i mean i don't know i don't know when i'm gonna get the vaccine i don't know what, what i'll do with you know the idea of being able to go maybe sit at an asu game or something like that like i i live like not even 10 minutes from muni and so like being able to go and just see asu play would be great because like that to me is uh like just being able to get out there watch those watch pack 12 guys compete like i would be really excited about that yeah, see, where you live is so different from where we live. I mean, everything is shut down. No one's playing. There's nothing going on. You yeah. drive by a high school field, it's been – I mean, it's just – it's on. You know what I wish? And we'll end on this. I just hope to be able to come to your end of spring training party. I hope we are able to have one this year. That would be great. Right? Oh, man, it would be fantastic if we could. I would love to, for you to be there, too. It is such a good time. And, yeah. and that was like three days before the world shut down is when we had it last year. <laughs> then it just all Picture of down. Joe Davis munching on a pork chop. That's from. <laughs> well, it's great to see you, man. Happy New Year. Be safe with the family. And, uh, you know, I'll be listening to you. Uh, Channel 89, Sirius XM. And you do a phenomenal job. And uh, we'll talk soon. Be well, my friend. Take care. You too, Tony. Good to see you guys. Take care. The great Mike Farron right here on A's Cast Live. Can we have that? Can we get to that party, Cody? We were close last year. We're going to get our – I actually had to leave. I had to come back for some family things, so I wasn't able to attend last year. But uh... <sighs> Mike's great. You know hey, you know what's interesting is everybody's telling us our our perspective of the world is different. You know – Everything we're hearing from people is, you know, hey, this thing's going to get started. So it's, it's, uh, we're, we're going to have baseball. There's no question. We're going to have football. We're going to have the Super Bowl. We're going to have NBA. We're going to have NHL. And, and life's going to move forward in, in 2021. I think that's uh, what we're all hoping for and thankful for. Yeah, I agree. And I, I would say that I wish my last memory of drinking with somebody at a bar was with Mike Farron in San Diego, but that's not accurate. So, but it would be great to, in a hypothetical sense, say, man, the last time I went to a bar was in San Diego with you and the great Mike Farron. But I might have visited, visited I think the last time we were in a bar was in Arizona. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, boy. That, and that bar Cause, was. Because when we came back, the world shut down. Yeah, that, that's shut down. I, I think you're right. I think that probably is the last time that I've been in. We probably were inside an actual uh, establishment, water hole, whatever you want to call it. Because when we were there, when you know, just to let everybody know, when we were in Arizona, no one down there was even talking about COVID. We went from Vegas to Arizona, and it was like it didn't exist. And we really didn't know much about it either at that time, to be frank. I mean, we were all out and about like it was no big, you know, like it was no like if we if we had the knowledge now back then we wouldn't have left our hotel fact 
We wouldn't even been like, in, we would probably wouldn't even been in Arizona. Let's be let's be honest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were in, we were in casinos. We were, we were at Top Golf in Vegas. I mean, we had one hell of a trip. That was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, like like we talked about earlier. Like, I'm really hoping that you know in November I can actually have the we can have our what uh, I can have my wedding and you know things are hopefully back to normal by then. And we go through uh, we get through a full baseball season with no. You know, a hundred play all one sixty two, no one hundred or one twenty or one forty or whatever it is. But um, you know, there's a lot of optimism in this new year. So I know we're only four days in, but let's, I'm I'm gonna keep it going. And I gotta tell you, my optimism for Marcus Simeon coming back it grows daily. It really grow like like it's tough to stay positive in a time like this, but that's who I am, and I'm gonna. The fact that people don't want him to play shortstop, the fact that the mega deal is not going to be out there, it just it keeps pushing him back towards Oakland. This is the type of game that David Forrest and Billy Bean excel in. You got what what two hundred and two two seventy something free agents out there? Yeah, it's somewhere around like two seventy two eighty something like that. It's ridiculous. I mean, think about how many guys are out there. This is where you find the value. You find the value, and you're not paying the ultimate price. Guys soon are just going to want to find a job. They're going to want to have a contract. They're going to want to have a job. This is where the A's excel. Fine. Let the Padres win the winner. Padres officially have won the winner. How many teams that win the winner win the World Series? Last year, the Yankees won the winner. They didn't win the World Series. It's not about winning the winner. It's about building a team that gives you. You hear the clip all the time about Bob Melvin, what he's excited about. Now, Eno Saris wasn't as excited, but Bob Melvin, hey, it's about winning a championship. That's the mindset. That is the goal. Every player we talk to from the A's, the expectation is, hey, we've now won the division. We've won 97 games back-to-back years. There's only one thing for them to do. That's playing the World Series and winning. That's the goal. And there's going to be players, whether it's Mark, whoever it is, they're going to find players that are going to help enhance. Who's to say Liam Hendricks doesn't come back? Everybody had Liam Hendricks going to the Chicago White Sox. Has it happened? No. They're still interested, though. Still interested. That's great. Has it happened? We're now in 2021. If they were so interested, why didn't they sign him already? That's the thing. It's like when we went to break and our last show was what, like mid-December? I think December 14th. Yeah. Remember how many guys were going to be signed and these this guy's getting three years and this guy. And here we are. What is today? The 4th? Yeah, January 4th. None of those guys have signed. None of them. So that's like, it's like, you know. This is a this is this is a practice and patience. You need to have patience. We do need to play Liam through the shredder. It was good. How is it? I didn't, I didn't say it was. Was that today? It was today. Yeah. So it's just it's just going through the shredder, and then uh, Joel Sherman and um, Dave Valley talked about it after with BK. BK was back on uh, the last few times I watched it prior to the year. BK wasn't on yeah. there. So and no, when he's not on, it's a different program. Yeah, and no, no offense to friend of the program, Adnan Verk, but it's just not the same. I like him. Yeah, it's, it's not, not it's, the same. Yeah, it doesn't have the edge. You get BK brings the edge. 
Yeah, and it was good. They were talking about that, and then it goes into a whole thing about how, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. But it was essentially, would you want to spend the money on Liam, or would you want to spend the money on a guy like the Rays like, and build your bullpen like the Rays? So that was after. I, don't, I, I just have that. I, I, I think I know where BK is going to go on that. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kinney, who threw out the first pitch at a Rays game. <laughs> <laughs> Correct? Uh, if he, I don't, I don't remember that, but I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. You're probably right. Yeah, he threw out, oh, yeah, he threw out the first pitch because he was Mr. Opener. They had a jersey for him, the whole thing. Don't doubt my knowledge. Um, well, it's not coming up, but I'm sure we'll find it. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on um, uh, MLB Now that we can talk about in the next hour. Okay. Well, I tape it every day. I'll be watching it after the show later today. A farewell to somebody who has meant so much to this fan base. A true professional. I don't know if you can find a better writer who covers a team than Susan Slessler. I I just... We've talked to a lot. There's a lot of them, a lot of good ones out there, but they they move around and everything. What she she's been an institution here with the Oakland Athletics. She's now going to go over and cover the Giants. Henry Shulman has retired, and what a great career he had covering the Giants. All those great moments, and good for him. Hey, listen, if you can retire in the the newspaper business, how bad that's been hit over the years. Congratulations. Good for you. Seriously. For Henry Shulman, uh, who's been on the program uh, many times and been on my programs, all the different shows that I've done, uh, I applaud him. Congratulations. Getting out uh, and retiring is something really special in the newspaper business because so many people have lost their jobs over the years. And now Susan's going to take her place. She's going to say goodbye to the A's fan base right here next on A's Cast Live. Now back to Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, I think anybody who listens to this program or listens to me on 95.7 The Game or all the different radio stations we've been on over the years with the A's, uh, what Susan has meant uh, to us. You know, my, my, my kids, she's a big inspiration. I, I have twin girls who are now 15 and, you know, Stanford, where my kids want to go, good luck. Um, but, uh, a Stanford grad, so intelligent, a pioneer. I mean, what she has meant to all of us, you, you got to remember we're, we're kind of like a little family. We see each other every day during the baseball season uh, at home, at least. And I, I remember on my birthday, her husband, Dan, who works for the athletic now, um, on my birthday in Japan, I had dinner with, with Susan, Dan, her husband, and Ken Korak in Japan. I mean, we're a little family. And it's – we're not losing a family member. They're just kind of they're, – they're just moving across town. And, you know, that's the thing about – you know, it's not like she's going to New York or she's going to Chicago or Milwaukee or Texas or wherever. She's just going to the Giants. She's still going to be a friend of the program. We're still going to have her on. But I know how much she means to you. You know, in a world where we don't trust journalism anymore, which is very, very sad. And in a world where journalism has turned into hot takes. That's what it is. 
People don't do news anymore. They do hot takes. That's not Susan. Susan is a journalist. Susan's going to give you the real. And she does her research. She has her relationships. She knows front offices. She knows scouts. She knows agents. And that's why she has broke so much news over the years. And we're going to miss her. And we want to bring her on one last time as, you know, from here on out, she'll be a Giants beat writer. So we want to bring her on one last time to say goodbye to you, the Ace fan base. She loves you, and you love her. Here is Susan Slusser from the San Francisco Chronicle. Susan, I got to tell you, when, when you told me the news, I was shocked. Uh, obviously, what you mean to the A's fan base for all these years and the relationship you built up with this fan base and the team I know I know means so much for you. But uh, more importantly, this is a great career move for you. Congratulations. Well, thanks, Tony. I mean, it's, it's really, really bittersweet, as I, I know you know. I've absolutely loved covering the A's, and I've been so extraordinarily lucky to be able to do so for so long. I was thinking about it. And the number of beat writers from other outlets covering the A's at that time, it's got to be more than 20 people. So uh, usually change is pretty frequent in this business. I, I'm just super fortunate that, that I did get to cover a team that I really enjoyed covering for so long and that was so good. And, you know, the A's officials have all been fantastic to me over the years. The A's fan base has just been phenomenal. They're still phenomenal. I thought people were going to be really harsh especially on social media, and it's actually been 99.9% so positive and supportive. Uh, so I can't, I really can't thank people enough, but it's weird. It's going to be weird, 23 years on one team. I haven't covered another team full-time since I covered the Rangers in 95, 96. So it'll be kind of an adjustment, but, you know, they say you need some new challenges every now and then, and this will be a challenge. You know, the same thing happened to me. I mean, I essentially started 95-7 the game, and I was there for years. And then at some point I realized, you know, there's got to be more to life than just doing talk radio. I needed a change, and that's why I came to work for the A's full time. And I think for you, just as a professional, you can always be proud of what you've done with the A's. But at some point, you need a challenge. You need something different. And I think this is, you know, kind of what it was for me. It's going to be the same for you. Yeah. Typically, people don't stay on the baseball beat that long anymore. Uh, it's uh, sort of my generation, a little bit older, people that are sort of lifers. And even among them, you know, there are a lot of Hall of Fame baseball writers that have bounced around from team to team. So it's pretty unusual. And the fact that Henry Schulman was covering the Giants that whole time for our same paper, John Shea, our national writer. I mean, between the three of us, it's just decades and decades and decades of really strong experience and good work and and I couldn't be proud of it and I'm so sorry to see Henry go because he's just the best uh, but I will do my best to fill in well and Matt Kawahara will be on the A's beat full-time he had he was last year we covered we had two on both teams as you know last year and Matt is fantastic I have never worked with anybody who works as hard as Matt Kawahara I don't think he took a day off and that was starting when I broke my ankle in spring training he had to go to spring training for the rest of the whole time, which he was not anticipating, obviously. And there was the pandemic to cover out of nowhere, right in the middle of that. And he wound up being there longer and in weird circumstances. And I really, I honestly don't think he took a day off the entire rest of the way. So, 
A's fans are in really good hands with Matt Kawahara. He is fantastic, and he will be on top of it, and he will be, um, you know, great to deal with for everybody, I promise. Yeah, I mean, to speak what uh, you're talking about, how people normally don't stay in one spot for a long time. We've kind of been really lucky with what we've had here in the Bay Area with what, you know, the Chronicle has allowed for that. I remember at spring training, it was Bob Melvin in the dugout. Bob and I were talking. Ken Rosenthal comes up. I, I didn't realize that when Bob was with the Orioles, you had Tim Kirchin, you had Ken Rosenthal, and I think Buster Olney showed up at some point in Baltimore. And all three of these guys who were national guys were all on the beat. So the fact that you guys have all been in one spot with the Chronicle, one team has been pretty amazing. But I think the thing for you, and I'll let you speak to this, that's really going to be tough for you is that bond and that relationship that you've developed over the, over the years with the A's fans as they've come to know and trust you. When they wanted the news and they wanted it real and they wanted breaking, they went to you. And I think that's going to be tough, you leaving that bond, because I know that bond between you and the fans is very, very special. Yeah, it's hard for me, too. Um, you know, it's one of the good things about social media. I spend a lot of time complaining about social media because it kind of turned our jobs into basically 24-7 at times, it feels like. But I've actually gotten to know fans. Uh, and before in the old days, before social media, you know, you get some emails or some letters, or maybe you might bump into people here and there. Um, but it was just not on the order that it is now. And Twitter especially has actually brought me friends who are A's fans. Uh, and I really treasure that. Uh, the, the fan base has just been so great to me. And I keep telling people, look, I'm not going very far. You can always find me on social media. People can reach out to me anytime. I'm not, I'm really not going anywhere. I'm still working at the same paper. I'll still have all the same social media handles, all of that. Uh, and you know what, County? Everyone always winds up back in Oakland eventually. So I just figure down the line, it's, it's going to happen. You know, it'll be, I'll be like Freddie Anderson or Jed Lowry or Sandy Alderson <laughs> or something. I'll, I'll, I'll be back someday. Don't compare yourself to Brett Anderson, please. <laughs> I'm not as funny as he is. Uh, well, I'm yeah, more, more athletic, maybe, but not as funny. <laughs> you probably are a better, better fielder than he is. <laughs> it's possible. And I was yeah. a catcher, so probably not really. Hey, you, you know, the thing that uh, really works in your favor, too, is, you know, Farhan Zaidi is someone you've known for a long, long time. So it's not like you have to go relearn an entire organization and no one knows who you are you're stepping into a job they all know who you are you've been over there so many times and you have a relationship with Farhan yeah I know tons of people over there obviously from from all my many years in the Bay Area even some some people going back way before I even covered baseball here I, I covered the San Jose Lasers when Shane Adam who's uh in the Giants uh executive sort of branch she was the Lasers PR person so uh it's I have lots of established relationships all, you know, with people there, and I really like them a lot. Uh, so that's great. And, you know, I'm still talking to the same agents, same scouts, and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I don't think I've met, except for maybe in group interviews, anyone on their 40-man roster at all. Not, like, never talked to them one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe Brandon Crawford or Buster Posey once or twice. And that's pretty much it. So now we're into the, like, the Zoom call 
uh, interview period for uh, hopefully that, you know, and, and fairly soon, but uh, they don't know me. I don't know them. They're going to be like, who is this new person? Where's Henry? So that'll, that'll be a little weird, but you know, we're all in the same boat with that. Well, I mean, to be realistic, you know, this roster for the giants, you know, in two years is going to look a lot different. So the, the guys that you're dealing with this year, especially some main players where their contracts are coming up and uh, there's belief these guys won't be resigned when you start talking about Posey and Crawford and Belt. You know, the team you got this year may be completely different in 2022. Yeah, I you know that they've actually got some fairly significant potentially money coming off the books um, with Posey's. I think there's an option for next year at 22 million. You got to think he probably comes back, but still, uh, they're looking at some pretty major turnover here, and they've built a pretty, from what I can tell, and I've really just started delving into my Giants uh, information here, but uh, they're starting to put together some pretty good young pieces. And knowing Farhan as well as I do and his ability, you know, which he got from the A's to find value uh, in unexpected places and look for some good deals. They've been slowly doing that. I mean, look what they did with Mike Yastrzemski uh, and and several others that they've acquired in the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. And there's definitely some there's some crossover there. Michael Holmes came from the A's, too. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But it's super bittersweet it really is I can't tell you how much the A's and A's fans and the whole organization has meant to me and everybody's treated me just so fabulously I I cannot thank everyone enough okay you know before the end of the year Jeff Passan on ESPN.com really did a great article on you know pretty much the state of the game and Mm -hmm. you start to realize you know whether we're going to play 162 which the players want Uh, You start to think, well, we may play around 140, 142, because that's how the the teams are. We're now just not playing for the national TV money. Now we're playing for the local TV money. You know, there's the players union and the owners are so far from each other. There are so many teams that look like they don't want to win. I mean, you got major powers like the Red Sox and the Cubs who are basically telling you they don't want to win. They're basically going into a, you want to call it rebuild, retool, re-whatever. I mean, there's not a lot of teams that are looking to go out and spin and win. I just think for the A's, this is kind of, you know, this is the pool they like to fish in. And if there's a lot of teams that don't want to win, well, so be it. Because I know Billy Bean and David Force want to win. Tell me the state of the A's before you get out of here. Where do you think they are in 2021? <laughs> well, you know what? They, they will need to spend something to be as competitive as they have been. And I don't know necessarily if their financial picture is particularly rosy right now either. I think what happens at shortstop is going to tell you a lot about where the A's are with using some of their resources or not. Now, they've got a good enough everyday lineup and a good enough rotation, and they're savvy enough at picking up quality relievers that I think that they can be in it, and they probably are a playoff team. I don't know how far they go beyond that, because right now they're looking at, you know, big question marks at shortstop, second base. Uh, closer, I think they'll be okay. I think the bullpen will be okay. But uh, a lot of key offensive players coming off of down years. That's throughout baseball, you know, and you yeah. can almost throw out this last season. But um, it's not a given. 
Uh, last year, I would have told you, yeah, the A's are absolute contenders. This coming year, I think we're going to tell from how they approach replacing some of these 10 free agents that they have. You know, Marcus Simeon is such an interesting case of where he is in his career, his age, the kind of money that he wants. And when you really like just go to his baseball reference page, he had the one year where he hit a lot of home runs, then he hurt his wrist. He had one of the best years or maybe the best year we've ever seen from an Oakland A two years ago. But other than that, you really don't have the resume of someone who would get a 80 to hundred million dollar contract. I know you talked with his agent, big expectations. We're not seeing big money thrown, thrown around at all next year. There's a bunch of free agent shortstops. What do you think happens with Marcus Simeon? He might be the most interesting free agent out there for exactly the reasons you're saying. Now he's coming off a down year. So many guys are to me, you know, he's turned into a very reliable everyday shortstop. He never takes a day off. He's, generally pretty healthy he's that little side thing mostly played through it which also probably didn't help his numbers any and he's also you know upstanding citizen great uh, exemplary employee you know he's what a guy you want all your players to learn from that gives him a little extra value too if i'm the ace i do everything i can to get him in on the back on a two-year deal maybe two years with an option and i pay whatever it takes I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. And I think somebody will throw some decent money at him. And you've seen some big name, name teams with some good resources talking about even moving him to second, which that's a little weird to me. I leave him at short. That's where a lot of his value comes. And he turns himself into that good, reliable, everyday shortstop. So uh, honestly, I cannot handicap at all what happens to Marcus Simeon. Uh, if, if teams throw out this past year offensively, I think he still makes pretty good money, but we have not really seen that market established yet. Yeah, I remember talking to his wife uh, as he showed up down in San Diego at the winter meetings. Obviously, Bay Area people, they want to stay in the Bay Area. And I just hope, Susan, and, and you're right, I don't think we can handicap anybody, to be honest with you, in this market. Mm-hmm. But But the fact that what we're hearing is teams view him as not a shortstop. And to me, if I'm Marcus Simeon, all the work that I've put in to make myself a shortstop. That's why I think at the end, we could see a deal between the A's and Marcus Simeon, because I don't think he wants to play second base or third base or go to left field. He views himself as a shortstop. And I think that helps the A's. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. Yeah. He is a shortstop. He is not, you know, if, if I'm Joel Wolf, his agent, I'm, I'm talking to every team, no matter what, what position they're interested in. But if I'm Marcus, I'm I'm just gonna say like, you know what? Great, go ahead and talk to him. But I am not playing second base. You know, well let's let's focus really on these teams where uh, we're realistically having a shot in it. He's an everyday shortstop, and there's just not that many really reliable, quality everyday shortstops. You know, for somebody to be thinking about moving him to second base. All right, my prediction for Susan Slusser here is I see you going to San Francisco. I see you being on the Giants beat, but because of all your connections, I view you as potentially one of the next, I don't know in how many years, I see you as a national baseball writer. That's my prediction for you. Oh, that's nice. Um, You know what? That would be fun. I love being a beat writer. I absolutely love it. Um, You know, the only thing I've ever talked about doing besides that is being, you know, a 
like a play-by-play announcer. So, you know, if somebody, somebody wants to hire me to do that, that that's what I would talk about. But national, I was a national NBA writer in Sacramento for a while. Man, that's actually really, it's tough to stay on top of, you know, every single team in the league. And John Shea has been as good about at it as anyone in the country. And he's got this amazing knack for localizing national stories, which I think is the best way to do it if you're working at a major metropolitan newspaper. And I'm, man, he, he is the absolute ideal as far as I'm concerned. So I'm happy with him continuing to do that. On your way out, you got a final word for A's fans? Well, you know, like I said, I'm not going very far. Um, you guys all remain in my heart. So I've got an absolutely huge soft spot for the whole fan base. Uh, and uh, I will be keeping an eye on things for sure. And people can always still find me on Twitter, at my email address at the Chronicle. Uh, and I'll be around. There's always interleague. There's spring training. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm not leaving the Bay Area. And I, I'd still love to talk to you, County, anytime you want to have me on. Well, I got to tell you, I don't think anyone's going to miss you as much as A's cast <laughs> for what you've done uh, for me all these years and what you did for me on 95.7 The Game. My children look up to you. Uh, you are going to be missed, but we're so happy for you. Good luck. And as you said, you're not going to be very far. You're always going to be loved here, and you're always going to be loved in this fan base. Oh, I love you guys. I love the Townsend girls, too. And you, too, Tony. Happy New Year, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Bye. It's an end of an era. I mean, what are, I mean, she had a, uh, she had an incredible run. And, you know, the, the thing that we're spoiled by, we don't feel spoiled because everybody looks at championships. But the thing that she got to oversee for a long time was a lot of good players and a lot of playoff, a lot of playoffs. Not great in the playoffs, but some really, I mean, as a beat writer, you know, the thing that you want is not only do you want a good team, but you want an interesting team. And you've had some characters. Going back to Jason Giambi, Nick Swisher, I mean, you've had some real characters, some real talkers. Guys are great to cover. It's a great clubhouse. I mean, she and she knows this, but it's going to be a shock. The Giants clubhouse is far different from the A's clubhouse. Always has been. The Giants clubhouse is not the rip roaring fun that, <laughs> that the A's, you know, they always act like, yeah, it's like a fraternity in here. I mean, you know, the A's music and it's blaring and everybody's having a good time, you know. I go back to the Bonds Kent days, where that was the no that was that that you want to talk about the no fun league that was the no fun league. I mean, you literally had a silent, silent clubhouse to where the two major players hated each other. You can ask J.T. Snow, you can ask any of these guys from that era. Hey, what was your clubhouse like, Rich Aurelia? What was your clubhouse like? wasn't warm and friendly. And I can tell you now, yeah, I haven't been in the Giants clubhouse since I did a show with Aubrey Huff. And I can tell you, last time I was in, there was no music. There, I mean, might maybe some music if I remember. I don't really remember. I just remember it was just it was dull. It's not like the A's clubhouse. The A's clubhouse. It doesn't matter the players. 
I think that is the thing that all these guys love is that they, they come to the A's and you can just, I mean, it's, it's, it's loose. It's loosey goosey. As you have said for years, Cody, it was a loosey goosey era. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time from any interview ever. The great Alex Rodriguez calling it a loosey goosey era. Um, well, Susan, you know, I think she said on Twitter that her first day covering the Giants is officially is tomorrow. Well, the Giants made a signing while we had the interview running. So she's going to be working today probably. Casali. Casali. Hey, hey, from what I'm reading from Alex Pavlovich from MMC Sports Bay Area, covers the Giants. They think that uh, Casali's going to back up Buster Posey, and that means that Joey Bart's going to be playing in the minors again. So you had a guy who's the savior for your franchise take major league at bats last year for majority of the season, but you still feel he wants he needs minor league reps. So you're going to send him back down to the minors. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna wear on him psychologically, but uh, I don't know that's not a good sign after you let him play most of the year last year in 60 games and then you're putting him back to start the minors. But hopefully, Buster Posey for Giants fans, Buster Posey comes back and he looks like Buster Posey prior to 2019 because as we went over earlier, the numbers for him weren't great. But yeah, there's the first big signing in the Susan Slusser era of the San Francisco Giants. Kurt Casale. Kurt Casale, uh, backup or starter? Uh, backup. He's going to back up Posey. There's no way they're going to have Posey not start. He's not going to play first base all the time because they want him to catch, and they're going to want Brandon Belt to play, even though Brandon Belt will probably get hurt at some point. So he'll probably will play first. Uh, let me ask you, is he going to hit third? Posey? Yeah. If you go through their lineup, what, Yastrzemski led off for them last year, and he was their best player. Um, no, I, there's no way you can't, like, you can have him bat third, but stranger things well, will happen, and we know Cappy is unconventional. He might put him a third. He might bat him third. If Bruce Bochy was writing him in third every game. It didn't matter what he was hitting. No power, no RBIs, not driving in anything. Flaring it to right field every once in a while. Oh, Boach was putting him at third. That's my guy. Then who bats? Who bats behind him at cleanup? Belt, Longoria. They got a lot of questions right. they need to answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that stood out today was uh, Mark Sweeney of the Padres. Everybody knows how good Matt Chapman is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody realizes it doesn't matter what team. Whenever a team comes to Oakland, everybody's like, oh, Matt Chapman. Everybody knows defensively this guy's incredible. And you know what that is, Cody? That's MLB Network. MLB Network doesn't have the best ratings, but the who watches MLB Network? People like us who like baseball. People who work in baseball. Yeah. It's essentially a network for us. So if you're listening to the program, you probably watch MLB Network. So MLB Network has been able to, I think, been a great outlet, you know, because we used, I mean, back in the day, all we had was ESPN, and we had Baseball Tonight. God, I can't even believe I forgot. What was the thing about the great plays? Uh, Web Gems. Yeah. So we, oh, it's a web gym. And I remember, I remember there were times like sitting out in the stands 
Because during games, I'll go out and sit in the stands and keep score, just get fresh air and get out of the – and, you know, if a guy made a great play, kids go, oh, that's going to be a web gym. Like, that's gone. Like, the place to follow and watch baseball and to showcase baseball is MLB Network. And that's like – that's how you can know because everything's on a loop, Right. Heidi Watton, he's doing the, doing the, going to every game and breaking down the game and showing all these plays. It's on a loop. And then they'll show it on the morning show. I mean, that's the thing. So everybody in baseball now, because everybody in baseball watches MLB Network, everybody now gets to see all the players and you get to see the great plays. And because Chapman is always being showcased, everybody realizes, holy, this guy's incredible. So when you got the Padres announcer going, hey, hey, Matt Chapman, that's second to none. Yeah. Yeah, Fernando Tatis is good. But he's not. Matt Chapman's by far a better defender than Fernando. I I bet you Matt Chapman could play a better shortstop than Fernando Tatis Jr. But that's what Here's we some, I would say that's what some people call a hot take. Hot take. I, I I'm telling you right now, you could move Matt Chapman to shortstop and the ball club would be fine. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's a route. He's he's done it. You put him at shortstop in all the shifts. How many how many shifts did the A's do last year? You got the uh, uh let me get the, I have the handbook right here. Front of you. I got it right here. Hold on, let me pull let me pull out the old handbook. I think I even have a I even yeah, I yeah. even have it bookmarked. Okay, yeah. So the A's the sixty A's, games. Five hundred and twenty six shifts. How many games did Chapman miss? I'll have to pull up his his BR page. Chapman played in 2020. He played in 37 games, so he missed 23 games. So whatever, we could go into the year before. You know, every single time he's playing and you shift, he's at shortstop. You're basically saying he can play shortstop. People think Fernando Fernando Tatis Jr. will not be a shortstop his entire career. That's a fact. That's a lot of people said. Now, I'm not discrediting this kid's talent. His talent is unreal. I mean, I mean he's on the cover of the his, Bill James handbook. Hey, his talent, his talent is in the box. His numbers are, even though he hasn't played a full season yet, God, I was reading something about him. It's like him, Pujols, Ted Williams, Al Kaline, you know, for like hits, home runs, RBIs, all that kind of stuff, so early in a career. There's only X amount of guys that have ever done it. So I, I'm not I'm not saying this kid is not and I think and as we talked with Mark Sweeney, I think I think we need to mic you know who was also mic'd up who was fabulous in that game was Mark Canna. If you remember, it was the Fox Saturday game of the week. It was A's Padres. A's had just come off the COVID thing in Houston. And the Padres took two out of three, right? But the A's hadn't played in like a week. But they mic'd up Fernando Tatis. They mic'd up Mark Canna. Mark Canna was great. Canna's got a really good personality. That's the thing. We got to mic these guys up. So people realize they got good personalities. And Canna's like, I kind of like DH and, 
You don't do anything but hit. <laughs> yeah, so they were, weren't they interviewing him like mid, like during uh, an inning when the A's were on the field, and he was like, "Yeah, I like the aging." Yeah, and then he he like he was up there hitting, and he was mic'd up. He was hitting and running to first, and it was awesome stuff. It really, really was. We need to do more of that. But no, Fernando Tatis is a special talent, and the fact that. It's probably the greatest thing that could ever happen to Manny Machado, who finally decided that he was going to try. He was actually going to give it 100%. Well, we don't know that for sure if he gave it 100%, but the numbers showed that he... <laughs> it <been> 85. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the numbers he put up, he was, uh, what, he finished third in AL MVP, or third in NL MVP voting? I mean, he had a great year. I mean, I, remember, I think the play I remember from Manny Machado in 2020 will be when he made the catch in right field against the oh. wall in Texas. <laughs> like, how do you score that? You're really going to tell me that, that you're going to put five? He's down the right field line. Was he even in foul territory? I think he wasn't because it was against the wall, so it was in foul territory. Okay, so he's a third baseman who caught a ball in right field near the near near the wall. Not just near the sidewall, but near near the, the the home run fence. That would be for me scoring. I would score that F five. I was thinking so that like point. so like normally if Matt Chapman catches a ball down the left field line in foul tor- foul territory, that's F five. Well, you have to score this as F five, even though Manny Machado is playing right field, catching a ball in foul territory in right field at the wall, at the foul pole wall and the home run wall in the corner. And you're really going to score that F5? Get Dave Feldman on the line. That is wrong. We need to we need to rework how we score baseball games. Like Marcus Simeon. How many times is Marcus Simeon in short right field, ground ball gets hit to him, boom, throws it to Matt Olson. You've got to score that 6-3. He's in shallow right field. He's not playing shortstop anymore. It should be 9-3. I know none of you care about that. I totally understand. It's like a pet peeve of mine that if we're going to shift, we got to redo how we score. Because if we go back over the game, like let's someone someone calls um, the clubhouse show. Hey, Townie, blah, blah. And I got to look through my scorebook, and it says 6-3. I'm thinking that's a ground out to shortstop. No, he was out in right field. Uh, Liam Hendricks. I want to hear... MLB now is the premier show in Major League Baseball. They break down baseball. MLB Network, hosted by Brian Kinney, has all the top guys on. They do the best job of breaking down the game. They use a lot of analytics. I get it. Some, to me, they use analytics on that show to favor the argument they want. I don't always do. You, I don't always agree, and I think that's what makes the show great. Sometimes I'll look at it and go, really? Well, we got a we got an expected woba today um, from Brian Kenny on Liam Hendricks, so you can tell he was really deep diving deep onto Liam Hendricks' 2020 stats. <laughs> but they like to put him through. They like to put players through the shredder. Here is Liam Hendricks, still our closer through the shredder. So let's put Liam Hendricks into the shredder. 
Liam Hendricks is going into his age 32 season, but has only recently jumped to a new level, and that level is among the best relievers in baseball, and maybe number one. Between 2011 and 2014, though, he had an ERA up around six, striking out about six batters per nine. That's not good. He had a very good season with the Blue Jays in 2015, 64 innings, 71 strikeouts, 11 walks, with a 2.92 ERA. But look at the bulk of his work. From there, after that good year with the Blue Jays, he had a three-year run between 2016 and 2018. The ERA around four, strikeout rate jumping up, though, to about 10 per nine. But compared to the right column there, that's the last two seasons, a stellar ERA of 1.79, a savage strikeout rate of 13 per nine, with a shrinking walk rate of just two per nine innings. The raw numbers, 161 strikeouts and only 24 walks in 110 innings. To put it into perspective, among relievers over the last two years, Hendricks is third in park-adjusted ERA, second in fielding independent pitching, eighth in strikeout percentage, and working constantly in high leverage for the A's, he's second in win probability added. This is an elite pitcher at his peak. But a little background and a little warning. Hendricks is a top five relief pitcher at the very least right now. But right now is a more elusive concept when talking about relief pitchers. It's always been a high wire act. But in this era of max effort, high velocity, high leverage, it is more volatile than ever. Think of some of the greats in the game only a few years ago. Craig Kimbrell, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, Kenley Jansen, Andrew Miller. All these pitchers who had historically great seasons of incredible run prevention. All have come down from those lofty heights. Here are their numbers the last two seasons. It's not like Jansen's been a disaster, but he's far from what he was. Kimbrell has fallen off the cliff. And those were the bullpen legends. So, Hendricks is on top right now. And it came at a good time, in time for his free agency. In 2020, he was second only to Brewers phenom Devin Williams in opponents weighted on base. He was 10th in ex-WOBA, that's expected weighted on base, given the quality of his contact. So that suggests he may have gotten a little fortunate. But when you have 37 strikeouts and three walks, you only need so much luck. So here's a good sign. Hendricks is 32, but compare his previous career season, that's 2015 with the Blue Jays, to the last two years. Keep in mind, 2015 was his good year, but then his strikeout rate was 27%, a walk rate of 4%. Last year, only two months, I get it, but it's up to 40% K rate and a microscopic walk rate of 3%, just a bit better than 2019. His velocity is about the same. He sits 96 on the fastball, and he is a cerebral pitcher who has applied the latest tools to elevate his game. And Hendricks has elevated to the very top. Okay. This is where yours truly is smarter than Brian Kenny. He's used the latest tools. You know what the biggest tool that he used? Long toss. Long toss. We know our players better than they do. That's why I keep telling you. We know, and you, and you know who said it best to us? If you remember, a very smart guy, a friend of the program, kind of gave me this idea, and I'm like, he's right. We all know our team better than everybody else. Do you remember who said that on the field on A's Cast Live? So it was a pretty smart guy. Well, um... I don't remember. I'm not even going to venture a guess. Left-hander, tall, Left in division. Gubaza? Gubaza was right. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that's right. Left-hander, in division. 
Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. CJ And he was like, hey, listen, guys. We know our own teams better than anybody else. So he started asking us on the show about the A's. I can tell you this. Liam Hendricks' wife has told him, get out of the video room. Don't go over every little thing. Brian Kinney doesn't know that. He's used the latest analytics to make his game better. What? Throw as hard as you can? Literally, Liam Hendricks has said on this program, no one has interviewed Liam Hendricks more than us here on this program, that his own wife, because some people believe that's what happened to Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan overanalyzed every single pitch and got in his head, and next thing you know, it's doom and gloom every single time out. Liam Hendricks' wife is great for his career. She's told him, and he said it on this program, stop being stop being soft. Go out there and just throw. Blow him away. Get out of the video room. Stop spending so much time in the video room. I applaud Liam Hendricks' wife being so involved and really knowing her husband and the temperature and being like, you don't want to be like those other guys. So don't know. So that's the thing. Brian Kinney. Oh, look, he's used the latest, all the latest. What? Get up there and throw as hard as you can. Play long toss. No one plays long toss like Liam Hendricks. He literally throws it so far to strengthen his arm that the guy he's playing catch with can't get it to him. It hops. We've watched it. And then he gets up on the mound and he throws it as hard as he can. And he's developed that slider that's almost just like a, it's like a screaming split finger fastball just drops. But th- there's no analytics to getting up there and throwing it as hard as you can. What analytic is that? <laughs> and Liam's told us that. He said on this show what his game plan is. I get up there and throw it as hard as I can. I'm trying to blow you away. The crazy thing, too, is and I've only ever seen one other guy. I didn't see it in person, but I've seen it on video, do a long toss like his, and it's Trevor Bauer. Bauer used to do foul pole to foul pole before he would get warmed up for before starts, and then you know then now then we saw Liam do it. And MLB Network did a good thing on MLB Now. They they brought up like some of the the best relievers in baseball that had a good stretch of like a two year runner or more, and they you know they were considered the dominant relievers slash closers in the league. And they looked at like Kenley Jansen, who in the, over the last two years has an ERA over three point six. Uh, Greg Holland, who hasn't been that great. Andrew Miller struggled. Uh, Craig Kimbrell couldn't find the strike zone to start the year last year. And then uh, – I mean, let's go over these guys. Start that again. Okay, so the first guy they put on there is uh, – over the last two years, they put Kenley Jansen. He's a 3.61 ERA. He's a one-trick pony. He's a lower, lower kind of Mariano Rivera where he's just going to throw the cutter over and over and over again. And when you lose velocity – I don't remember Mariano Rivera losing velocity. No, he, he just, just he just threw that same pitch over and over and over again. You knew it, he knew it, everybody knew it. And I, Kenley Jansen has lost velocity on that cutter, so it doesn't have the late break. And guys are either watching it go for a ball or they're barreling it up. So different story than Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks still has his velocity. Next, uh, the next guy was Greg Holland, the former. 
Royals closer. He had what? Tommy John, right? Yeah, but he, he did he pitch – I think he pitched last year, but over the last two years, he's a yeah. 3.38 ERA. But he ended up having Tommy John, so he's a different – And then the next guy was Andrew Miller, who has a 4.12 ERA over the last two years. Um, but he's not a closer anymore either. He was just – I mean, he, he gave it a – I look at a guy like that and I applaud him because he basically got overworked. Oh, it's the totally. same thing they're doing with Josh Hader. Like, you only got so many bullets in the arm. And guys like that who were – and he had a terrific career. And he made enough money. He's never going to have to work another day in his life. But he he gave it a, he gave it his all. But he was a guy that they pitched so much. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that started with the Red Sox and then the Indians. Remember, he was the big, the biggest – was supposed to be the biggest piece of the Miguel Cabrera trade from Detroit. So, uh, the next one is Craig Kimbrell, who has a six – a six flat ERA over the last two years, which <laughs> still has the vol- that that's kind of a mystery, right? Because he hasn't lost velocity. No, yeah, he's just I don't know. What's, he has a fourteen point six uh, walk percentage over the last two years, so that's not good. He had a run. He had arguably one of the great runs as a closer in baseball history. I'll just from he had his record numbers. I mean, from his days with the Braves, then he pitched that half the year with San Diego, and Preller went for it all a couple of years ago, and then how good he was with Boston. And then he signed what midway through the year in 2019 with the Cubs, and and then he I don't know he's just been he hasn't looked good the last two seasons. And the last one's Wade Davis, the former Royals closer. Now well, he was with the Rockies, signed a huge deal. I think they might have got rid of him. A 9.77 ERA over the last two years, and a 9.35 opponents on uh, OPS. What about Johnson comes over from the Orioles to the A's and he can't get anybody out? Couldn't get anybody out. And then he went on to somewhere else. I think it was Atlanta or something, and he ended up actually not being that bad. But he can't, yeah, Correct. he went from being pretty shut down with the Orioles, comes to the A's, and he gets booed out of his first – what was his first or second outing? He got booed. Like, it just shows you, like so – the year, the, year, the year before when he came – do you have, like, 53 saves or something like that? I remember he had a high number, I don't know, 53 was number, but he had a lot of saves. Uh, let me I'll pull him up right now because I'm on baseball reference. Okay, I remember. I just remember him, and then they went from like the Orioles went from him to Zach Britton. As there, I mean, that's a pretty good um, closing combination you would have going forward after. But uh, Johnson had fifty-one and then fifty saves, and then he came to Oakland. I'm saying he was in back-to-back fifty saves, and then couldn't get anybody out. Yeah, then he and then in 2016 he had 20 saves, and 2017 he had 22 saves. But that year he had a 5.56 ERA at age 34. But he was good at his 29 and 30 seasons with Baltimore. Then he ends up with the A's and they get rid of him to go to and he goes to Detroit, the uh, the year of 2014. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 51 and 50. he led Major League Baseball in saves 51 and 50 in back to back years, and then, and then he comes to the A's. He was four and two with two saves. In a seven oh nine, wait a in a seven, no no he was four and two at the A's, two saves and a seven point one four ERA. It just shows. I mean, it's 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 when you see guys that have a long career, and you think of guys like Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Suter. I mean, obviously, I'm bringing up Hall of Famers, um, but these guys that have the long careers, there's not a lot of them. 
And now you're kind of getting to a point to where they're going to try and do bullpen by committee, which brings costs down, a la your Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and I think we're going to see, unfortunately, for a lot of teams, I think some teams are going to start doing that. They're going to try to find these these uh, undervalued relievers like the Rays have done with guys like Nick Anderson. Everyone's looking for the next Nick Anderson, who they got the trade deadline in 2019 for the Marlins, for Ryan Stanek, our, our guy, the, the opener, and yeah, a few okay. other guys. Um, and they you know they get Nick Anderson back, and he's he's a pretty shutdown closer. He didn't look great in the postseason this year, but he's, he's been pretty solid for them. And then you got guys like Peter Fairbanks and these guys coming out of their bullpen that are just throwing, you know, throwing gas out of – for them, and then they just find these guys out of nowhere, and that's I think that's what teams are trying to start are going to try to start doing. And you're going to see, like, unfortunately for Liam, he's been on the market for how long now? I know it's for ages, only been going on for like what, like a month, two, almost two months now. But still, I mean, he's going to sign somewhere. But I think teams are going to start look, keep looking like a Tommy Canely, who I told you I really liked from the Yankees. The Dodgers signed for like two years, almost like five million dollars is what he got, or something like that, or it might be two years ten. But the the point is. They're looking for guys like that, opposed to a guy that's going to want thirty to forty to fifty million dollars to be a closer, and you know, in his early thirties. All right, you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, well, I'll just start this one to continue the theme of what we've been talking about today, and that's uh, Bob Townsend's San Diego Padres. Um, very, very fired up on a text thread that we had uh, a couple weeks ago. I never saw someone so animated and wanted to, to wager on the season, but I was like, you know what? I, I, can't, I can't take those odds with the, with the Padres and the Dodgers. Yeah, my, so. my brother basically came at Cody with a very unfair bet. That was very uh, skewed in Bob Townsend. What was it, ten to one? Ten to or one, something? yeah. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> yeah, come on. I'm like, you got to bring it down. I-, I said I'd bank your bet because I love taking my brother's money, <laughs> but we're not doing ten to one. You no. got to. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna get my brother, Bob Townsend, who is a part of the Padres organization somehow and a season ticket holder, because um, he's a member at San Diego Country Club with. Uh, a lot of the Padre people, including our own Grady Fuson, who is a member down there. Um, we'll get Bob Townsend on. We're going to have a Padre bet between you and my brother. But we've got to – it's got to It's got to be negotiated down. Yeah, I agree. I think that we need to figure some common ground here uh, because I think 10-1 to 1 is a bit high. I'm no gambling expert. Yeah, 10 to 1 would be like a triple-A club coming to the big league. Stop it. 10-1 yeah. to 1 is a little strong. All right, so the Padres sent shockwaves over the holidays with the moves they made. They got Blake Snell from the Rays. They got Hugh Darvish from the Cubs, and they signed the probably the best free agent from, from the KBO, the young shortstop. Um, but rumors are they're trying to extend Fernando Tatis Jr. this offseason, which that will be a great uh, move for the organization moving forward with a lot of their young pieces still there. And then you have Snell for a couple more years and Darvish. The Dodgers could potentially lose – Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez, but they're also looking at DJ LeMahieu, and they're also going to get David Price back, who was not part of the team in 2020. Then they're, oh, I, so, about that. I know, and those are the top two teams in the division, and then you have 
Um, the Rockies and Giants, who are, I put in air quotes, rebuilding. And I don't know what to think of the Diamondbacks. I really don't. I don't know. Are, are they going to try to be good? Or are they not going to be good? Because they were supposed to be good last year, but they weren't good. This will be the year where they're not supposed to be good, and they will be good. They're always like that. But buying or selling the San Diego, Bob Townsend Padres will win the NL West in 2021. Really? You really going to ask me that? Well, I know. I well, not well. I didn't think we were going to through the whole setup with what you did, but it happened, and I know you're going to say no. So you really believe <laughs> that I'm going to I'm going to take the Friars over the Dodgers? Don't say. Don't I just pulled it up, dude. I totally forgot David Price. You're going to have a rotation: Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, Dustin May. And then you're going to have Urias and Goslin. It's pretty good. Come on, dude. Really? I totally forgot about that. And you're going to have David Price a year of, like, because I think if you didn't um, play this year, I, I, I think it's kind of a bonus for you. You know what I'm saying? I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it kind of revives your arm a little bit. The wear and tear of all these years and all these pitches. I mean, for David Price, I have to think it's going to be a bonus for him because he's thrown so many pitches over his career. I, I, oh my God, I forgot about David Price. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm selling. Dodgers will win the division for the ninth straight year. And they got even more arms. Yeah, they got more guys in the minors too that are coming up. By the way, Urias. Have we figured out how to say his name? Somebody, it's Urias, Urias. I thought it was Aureus, but I don't Aureus? know. Aureus? yeah, I don't know. Everyone says it differently. Whatever. Do you make him that bridge guy like he did in the World Series? I mean, that's a that's not a bad call. He He's a solid, solid guy. I mean, I know he's had his trouble pass, and he was uh, so – No way. By the way, their fan – even the Dodger fan base doesn't like him. I know. And he he has a lot of I mean he has so much talent but I mean but he looked good you're right he looked great in the World Series and I, they got to figure out their their closer position their who's going to take over the closer role for 2021 before Joe Kelly Blake Trinan uh, I told you I told you I like I think Bruce Star Gratterall is the next Gratterall I think he's the next closer for the Dodgers but you still got Jansen too so hey, can I ask you a question about Gratterall uh, sure have you, ever seen, have you ever seen a guy throw that hard and get hit so hard. There's times he gets ripped, it's and he's true. throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh, honestly, yeah. I mean, I saw a little bit uh, when Tyler Glassoffers got caught up by the Pirates. He couldn't find the strike zone, and when he did, he got he got hit hard. <laughs> but he kind of. It, I just, mean, it just goes to show, if you're throwing 100 and you're throwing it down the middle, they will hit it. Yeah, I mean, if you can't locate, if you if you have your ball doesn't, if it's just a straight fastball, of course. I mean. I think Gratterall will figure it out. I think the Dodgers will find something to figure out. Joe Kelly is almost the same way, essentially, it seems like. He throws so hard, and he gets hit a lot, too. But I know we'll, we'll see if the, Do if the Dodgers can figure that out. So the Reds are working to – this is according to uh, Joel Sherman from – this is like – I think I had this written up before we went to break for the holiday break. But he mentioned how the Reds are looking to trade Sonny Gray, former A's, great starting pitcher. Now, Sonny has two years and $20 million left on his deal. The clubs that are considered to be the most aggressive in the starting pitching market are the Angels. Uh, well, they, I would hope so. The Blue Jays, Giants. Uh, the Padres are on here, but they made some moves. I, I don't think the Rays will, but the Red Sox and White Sox. And as we saw earlier this offseason already, the Reds traded their closer, 
and they non-tendered Archie Bradley, another their other closer. And rumors are circling that they could potentially trade Luis Castillo, the other big starting pitcher in their, in their rotation. Buying or selling the Reds will trade Sonny Gray this offseason. Buying. And would you say it's only 10 mil a year? Yeah, two years, 10, 20 million left on his deal. Wow, that's cheap. And he's what, 31, 32? I think Sonny's like the same age as me. Like, like, why wouldn't you? That's nothing. Yeah, and if, if you... I mean, that's nothing. And just follow the Cubs model and just give just get a bunch of 18-year-old kids back and hopefully when you bank on one of them making to the majors. I mean, if you told me, hey, Townsend, would you take, would you take, would you take Sonny back for $10 million? Yes. I mean, that's, that's... Now, there's not one guy making $10 million on the A's in the A's rotation, but I was like, yeah, it's only $10 million. Your commitment is only two years, twenty million dollars. Yeah, that's, that's that's in 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 a normal market, that's nothing. You got relievers making that. So since we've last been on the air, nothing has changed with the Yankees and uh, David John Lemayhew. But on January second, news emerged about the MVP candidate John Morosi, in front of the program of MLB Network, reported that the Dodgers have interest in DJ LeMayhew of the Yankees. Well, formerly of the Yankees so far. The Blue Jays, thought to be to have one of the largest available spending pools for this year's hot stove, have also been linked to LeMayhew. Now, LeMayhew's so the Dodgers could be largely determined by what the club does with two departed free agents of its own and Justin Turner and Enrique Quique Hernandez with indications that the latter could be moving on to another club. Now, LeMayhew has a versatility that will fit right into that Dodgers uh, clubhouse with the, being able to play multiple positions like a Chris Taylor, Bellinger, Max Muncy. But I can also still see the Mets trying to snatch DJ away from the Yankees as well. Buying or selling, the Dodgers will sign David John LeMahieu. Where are you going to play him? I mean, the, th- the nice thing with him is he can play anywhere. So you can play him at third. Where are you going to play him? Probably third if you don't bring back Turner. I, mean, I think indications are if you sign him, you're not bringing back Turner, and he's going to play third base. Okay, because I got to think long-term Gavin Lux is the guy at second base, right? Well, yeah, the way the Dodgers treat him like he's the next great Hall of Fame second baseman, absolutely. So I got to think Lux at second, LeMayhew at third. Seager's now not going anywhere because he's the – NLCS and World Series MVP. And then you're going to have friend of the program, Max Muncie, at first base. So what's the buying or selling that he'll go to L.A.? That'll sign with the Dodgers, yeah. I just, I I don't know how New York lets him go. I'm selling. I, I'm with- I, I think Brian Cashman's like, okay, go out. Brian Cashman has made a mistake in his career multiple times negotiating against himself. He negotiated against himself against A-Rod, CC Sabathia. No one out there was going to pay that kind of money. Remember when he did the record extension with A-Rod? Because that was on top of the the, the Rangers free agency contract leaving Seattle. Who was going to pay A-Rod that kind of money? Yeah. It's a great point. Who are you negotiating against? It made no sense. CC Sabathia signs that extension. 
Who are you? CC obviously was declining. Who are you? Who's going to step in and say, "Oh, I'll pay. I'll pay you more money, CC." Name me a team that had that kind. I mean, the Yankees have so much money in the vault that they've over the years have negotiated just against themselves, and agents like Scott Boris ate it up. So it just it's it to me it's like. Smart business to say, okay, DJ, we want you. Even at your age, we we think you're a great Yankee. Let him go out and search. And if he comes back with, give, give me a number. Cody, give me a number. A number for what? It's called what he wants? Yeah, give me a number. Give me years and a number. Three for 80. Okay. Well, then I can write that check. But in years past, you would negotiate with someone like an A-Rod or a Teixeira, and no one else was talking to them. No one else was going to give them that kind of money. It's like, what are you doing? That's like bad negotiation. So I think Brian Cashman is kind of just going to let this play out. And then if he can get four years, three years, whatever he can get, you know you can spend more. Why just offer him something? That's just bad. It's been they've they've done a lot of bad business. Like I get it when Jeter's your own guy, you got to take care of Jeter, right? Is the captain, so you got to take care of him. Yeah, you, you, Jeter's not negotiating with anybody. You just take care of him. I get that. But these other guys that you bring in, why why are you going to negotiate only versus yourself? That's just bad business. It's dumb. So you know what? Let's see what the Mets want to offer. Let's see what the Dodgers are going to offer. Is there a mystery team, which would be like the Toronto Blue Jays? By the way, who really wants to sign with the Blue Jays right now when you're going to be playing in Tampa? Who was the last major phrase in to sign with Toronto in the first place? Besides Ryu last year. Can you name me another big phrase in to sign with Tampa Bay? Or uh, Toronto, sorry. Toronto, free agent. I mean, you probably have to go back to the 90s. I was like, Donaldson was traded there. Batista was, I think, traded there, and he wasn't even good when he went there. I mean, when you when you go back to when they won back to back World Series, what was that? Ninety two, ninety three. Yes. And they were they were that was the Sky Dome, and they were back then when they were winning that. So basically, they did their battles with the A's, and then the A's would start to fall off, and then they won those two straight World Series. Remember, they were packing in well over three million a year. They had the highest attendance in baseball. They had a really good TV deal. And I mean that the, those those Blue Jays teams don't like we don't look back when you think great baseball teams people don't look back and go the Blue Jays of the early nineties well they went back to back World Series and then the strike hit I don't know where they were at the strike by the way could they have won three in a row but they were stacked uh, Dave uh, X A's Dave Stewart Ricky Henderson were a part of that I mean they had I mean they had Hall of Famers. Roberto Alomar, I mean, they were stacked. Hinky and Ward at, at, at closer. John Olerud. Um, Pat Borders was the catcher. Fernandez was, uh, Tony Fernandez was a shortstop. What's his name? Um, in center field, Devon White was incredible. I mean, they had talent. Joe Carter. They had uh, that Jimmy Key. They had Stoudemire. They had Dave Stewart. They had uh, Jack Morris. I mean, they had so many. They had so many All Stars, if not Hall of Famers, on that team. It was unbelievable. But yeah, I 
when's the last? Because Carlos Delgado came up in their system. And then you think of great Blue Jay players. I when's the last? Yeah, I don't know when's the last. I mean, we'd really have to read. If you have to really research it, what's that telling you? And now you're going to play. Was it Eno who thought that things will get cleared up? I don't think things get cleared up between the borders between our country and Canada. I don't think for a while. And and we always... I would bet. I, I I would bet that the Blue Jays play the entire season in St. Petersburg. Probably will. And, I mean, we'll find out. If something changes, we'll go to our, our trusted source, the great Dan Schulman, for any news on Toronto. And let me ask you this. Are they more attractive being a team that's going to be playing in the United States? Because there is some tax thing about when you play, you get taxed more when you're in Toronto. Is there, I don't know, maybe like a one-year deal? Is it more enticing for you? Uh, Florida, no state taxes, and you're avoiding the taxes in Toronto? Is it more enticing to sign a one-year deal with the Blue Jays if they're playing the season in Tampa? I would say I would think so because it's it's, it's like that anytime you think of a free agent signing in California, they have to worry about the high tax to sign here. I, I think that it'd be more I mean it'd be more appealing to sign in if you know you're for sure playing your entire year in Toronto, in Tampa Bay or St. Petersburg. Sorry, uh, I, yeah, I think that's more appealing because. You got to worry about crossing the border every time you go play in Canada, and you know things are different. It's a different country, but yeah, I think I think you definitely have to weigh it out to where it'd be more lucrative to probably play in St. Petersburg. Or yeah, and how many guys? And how many guys? How many? How many of these players that are free agents right now, the two seventy plus, actually live full time in Florida? Yeah. So now you're playing in your home state. You're not playing that far from your house. They may be more attractive than we think now that we've thought this out at the end. We couldn't have talked about this three hours ago. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> now that now that I think about it, the, the Jays may be very attractive. I mean, they already were with the young talent they have, too. But, yeah, even thinking about the, them playing in, in Florida might be – it helps a lot, too. Especially on the one – if you can get a, one, a really good one-year deal, which I think the, the majority of these guys – who are free agents are going to sign one-year deals. And if you're going to sign a one-year deal and you live in Florida and you got your wife and your kids and everything's in Florida, and now they're playing in St. Petersburg, where you're, I don't know where you live in Florida, but you're not going to be that far away. The Jays may be very enticing for a lot of one-year free agent guys and guys who could really help you win. And that's where the AL East, when you talk competitive with the Yankees, with the Rays, and if the Jays get – the AL East could get very interesting very quick. Yeah, and the Jays also have the prospect capital if they want to go out and get Francisco Lindor, who could only be playing for them for one season too because he's a free agent after 2021. They could do so much. That's why I keep trying to – I keep I monitor Twitter as much as I can to see if the Jays make any moves because I, I feel like there's something going to be brewing eventually Wait, with them. You said everybody was going to the Mets. Now you're saying everybody's going to the Jays? Well, I, the, the Mets are going to be the NL team. The AL team is going to be the Blue Jays. And one last thing before we go. I don't know if you All saw right. this. Friend of the program, Book Shambi, is now replacing Len Casper on the Cubs TV broadcast. Really? Len Casper took the job. Phil, uh, t- he's now going to be doing the games on – W. he's doing the games for the White Sox on the radio with uh, Darren Jackson and replacing the late, great Ed Farmer. Oh. So, Boog Lynn is Cas- – Boog- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Len Casper is leaving 
television for the Cubs to do radio for the White Sox? Yes, this happened a couple weeks ago. And then the Boog Shami News came out today. Boog's going to be doing TV. Is he still going to do ESPN? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, what's his name? So does it. Uh, well, Glenville works through the Marquee Sports Network, but he's not a, and a game analyst all the time. But Boog can still do stuff on if he's not doing it, but I doubt it. This means our guy Roxy slash Alan Bernstein may be elevated. This we'll see, yeah. Got to call Roxy. Why would you leave Cubs television to do White Sox radio? Something's up. Cubs are rebuilding, man. The White Sox are on the up and up. You know what I'm saying? I'm not leaving Cubs television to do White Sox radio. Yeah, I don't know. But I I literally popped on my Twitter and I completely forgot about Boog. Uh, The news came out this morning and someone just. By the way, do you think White Sox fans are going to be thrilled that the Cubs. Because, folks, if you're listening to me right now, you know how the Giants and the A's relationship is. They don't like us. We don't like them. It's the same thing in Chicago. Are you really going to want the Cubs TV guy doing your play-by-play if you're a White Sox fan? On the south side? I don't think so. That's weird. Yeah, it was it was strange when I saw it, but, you know, it's it's a good move and for the White Sox. New York guy, so he's going to move to Chicago? Yeah, I mean, I guess so, unless they're calling games remotely. But, no, it's – I mean, good for him, though. I will say this. As I watched – what bowl game did I watch? Mike Golick, he did the uh, – I watched every bowl game, my God. I watched – Oh, I watched I, no, I watch every bowl game. I love bowl games. Um, I just watched Mike one. Golick, I think Mike Golick did the Iowa State-Oregon game. He's gone out of ESPN. That was his last gig. They ESPN's hurting. Yeah, he retired um, from um, – well, he, he, that's, that's forced retirement. As he has said out on Twitter, I, I'm not retired. He's forced retirement. I mean, I think ESPN is cutting – that might be one of those deals for Boog. It's like, get out while you can. Could be, yeah. But good, but good, um, I'm glad I have for the Cubs and Marquee Sports Network because that's where he's going. So, um, Boog's as good as anybody. Friend of the program, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I got it right. He is going to be the the head play-by-play guy on TV for the Cubs on Marquee Sports Network. He's getting at it. These guys, it's like a mass exodus out of ESPN right now. Yeah, they're, well, it's been changing like that for a while. Trey Wingo's gone. Did you see that? I did not see that. No, I'll have to look Trey Wingo's been there for – he did the show with Golick he, and did all the NFL stuff. He was their NFL uh, – NFL He Live. was their host. Yeah. Yeah. Trey Wingo's gone. I'm telling you, it's a mass exodus out of ESPN. All right, Commander, great start for 2021. I can't wait for the season. I can't wait. We're, we're, we're going to rock this thing. We promise you. Cody put together nine hours of a best of for A's Cast Live of all the great guests that we have. You know what? We're going to beat it this year. We're going to be even better because Cody is the best, as Ray Fossey would say. We'll be back on Thursday from one. When are we? One to four on Thursday? Yeah, one to four Thursday with Ray Fossey. With the great Raymond Fossey and so much more. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Enjoy A's Cast powered. Well, we're going to rerun the show, but enjoy A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.